Your fever is high and the pressure to log in at work is too. But when you finally decide to take care of you, there's Instacart. Just because that one perfect coworker of yours is attending all meetings, camera on while she's sneezing, coughing, and aching, doesn't mean you have to do the same. Take it from us. Trying to stay on top of things will only get you further behind. Instead, get everything from tissues and teas to cough suppressants and comforting soups delivered through Instacart in as fast as 30 minutes. If anyone needs anything, they can just redirect their questions to that one perfect coworker. Worker of yours. Why? Why? If you Why? have T-Mobile 5G home internet, you might be hearing this Why? a lot. Why? Every time your internet slows down during the busiest hours. Why? Why? Because your network gives priority to cell phone users. Why? Good question. Why not switch to Cox Internet with two times faster download speeds than T-Mobile 5G home internet during peak hours? Okay. Stop the whys and visit cox.com slash 5G home for details. T-Mobile prioritizes certain T-Mobile phone users over home internet users during times of congestion. Wake up! Wake up! Mike Mulligan, David Haw. Also, Gabe, while people slept, they may have missed this. The White Sox <laughs> signed another Kansas City Royal. Let's go, baby. What? Bro, what are you talking about, man? Mike Moustakis, three-time yeah. All-Star. Who? Why not us? Why not us, right? Basically signed by the Sox to a minor league deal. And wait for it. This is the real statistic that is relevant to this story. He was a starting third baseman in Kansas City in 2011 when Chris Getz was a starting second baseman. Chris Getz is a great scout. You know, you shape the culture and direction you want to go. You find the people that, you know, have the qualities that you feel like can fit and work towards what you're trying to accomplish. It makes it fun having people that you know or don't know and growing relationships, but it doesn't mean that we're we're just stuck in our ways. He knows talent when he sees it and remembers it. Got a good memory. He's <laughs> got a good memory. <laughs> Enough Royals already. Oh my God. I don't know why they keep bringing people from Kansas City, to be honest with you. Start your mornings with Mully and Haw, 5.30 till 10 a.m. on 6.70 The Score. It's Friday. Let's go. Good morning, Chicago. Welcome to the Mully and Haw Show on Chicago Sports Radio 6.70 The Score. Gabe Ramirez is in for Mully today. You. Good morning, Gabe. How are you in your Derrick Rose number one Bulls jersey? You know, I know you guys were expecting the White Sox. I was. So that's why I wore a White Sox t-shirt underneath. Okay, you yeah. are decked out. So in I started. Your... I started there, but you know, I put all my sports gear in the same drawer. So then I saw the Derrick Rose jersey, and I thought, "No, nah, I got to put on a Derrick." Do Rose you have shirt. a Bedard sweater, number no. ninety-eight? Do not. But you know, now that I know that what you what, what's on your what's on my Christmas list. Okay, <laughs> take care of me. That would have been the thing to wear today. That mm. would have been the the uh, jersey to wear last night. True. We've got a lot to get to. It was a very newsy Thursday in Chicago. And Friday, this is a great great way to cap the week because there were some big stories. And we can debate whether Connor Bedard returning was as big as the Bears cutting two good veterans, Cody Whitehair and Eddie Jackson. There was some other news going on. Let's start with Bedard, though, because that was the most, dare I say it, jaw-dropping development. See what you did there. I do. <laughs> I did. I'm sorry. <laughs> but Connor Bedard playing 41 days after he broke his jaw, 18-year-old kid back on the ice, Sidney Crosby and the Penguins in town. There was a moment at the United Center. There was a buzz talking to people who were at the game. I was tempted to go. I was very tempted to go. <laughs> Is there I, regret? Do you regret it? I don't regret it the way it worked out. Four to one losers, the Hawks were to the Penguins, although Crosby scoring twice would have been fun to right. see. 
Bedard getting an assist would have been fun to see. There would have been that kind of anticipation that would have been fun to experience. I don't regret it, though, because I did get more sleep than I would have <laughs> had I returned home at midnight. Fair enough. But how often are you going to be able to see Sid the Kid and Bedard on the ice at the same time? Not often. And I think that was part of the impetus between or behind Connor Bedard waking up Thursday morning and saying, I want to, I want to play. I want to play against my idol. I want to recreate the moment that I started my NHL career by facing off against Sidney Crosby the way they did back in October. They did it again. Crosby did it again by winning the faceoff. 15 seconds into the game, it's one nothing Penguins. <laughs> Crosby scored his 15 seconds into the game. Come on. You know when I didn't regret going to the game? Then? Yeah. Or not going to the game was 15 seconds into the game. It was something else. What did you think when you saw the news confirmed that Connor Bedard, franchise player, Chicago's best hope for a superstar, was going to be playing in a nothing season 41 days after breaking his jaw? Yeah, I think initially the thoughts were, who, where is the pressure coming from? You mentioned that you know Connor Bedard wakes up in the morning and says, hey, I think I want to put the skates on today. I think a text message comes from NHL to the ownership of the Blackhawks and is like, hey, you mind checking on Bedard for me and seeing if he could play today? Because I think it'd be a good idea. I mean, come on. In what? How, how many sports where are there where you just kind of step into a game after one practice? I don't think there are many. Especially, especially after being out 41 I, games. I think that's a, that's a great point. How, in baseball, you got to have the ramp-up period. Come on. In football, you know, you don't really jump right back into that kind of speed and contact. Basketball, you're on a minutes restriction. You know, boxing, you have a tune-up fight. So, wait, you think that Dr. Bettman cleared him? You think that Gary Bettman, the commissioner of the NHL, Dr. Bettman said, okay, Connor, you're fine. Yes. <laughs> I have no attachments to the NHL, so I have zero problem saying these things. Yes. Don't you, David? Yeah, I Come don't on. know if the league was involved. I, I am very— Was this a nationally, te- was a nationally televised game, right? I don't think that it was. Oh, it, was okay. Okay. it was It was local. It was local. NBC Sports Chicago had the, uh, had the broadcast— I, or maybe, I think, fine, 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 fine. I'll give him the benefit of the doubt. Maybe it, there were discussions in the weeks leading up to it. I think it was a surprise. I, I don't, I don't, I don't uh, deny that. I think that would be true. There was definitely interest at the league level in getting Connor Bedard back on the ice as soon as possible. <laughs> yes. He, he, the kid went to the All-Star game when it was an attraction. He is must-watch television. I am... Mildly surprised, and I think that as exciting as it was to anticipate his return last night and yesterday all day long, I did use the word reckless in wondering if this was reckless because you got an 18-year-old franchise player. What is the hurry? I get the, I get wanting to play against Sidney Crosby. If, they were, if the Senators were scheduled to play last night, would Bedard have come back? And should that, if the answer is no and you shook your head no right away, if it was no for the Senators, should it have been no for the Penguins? What are you doing? Are you throwing caution to the wind? Now, I'm saying all this as kind of a means of, you know, exploring both sides of the equation because I loved it, okay? As a hockey guy, I was like, all right, <laughs> texting my son. Are you watching it? I'm in, yeah. Do you want to go? Are you free? <laughs> uh, oh, no, maybe we shouldn't go. <laughs> but I was into it, right? Hockey people were into it. But then I'm thinking as a parent, as a – responsible fan or do you really want to risk another injury when there really is not a reward worth it i guess the the issue really is the injury itself 
It's not as though he's coming back from some leg, arm, chest, something like that. It's a broken jaw. So you're saying to yourself, I understand there's contact in hockey. We all know that. But in terms of re-injuring something that could be detrimental to his health for the future, I think that gets minimized when it's a jaw injury as opposed to something else. You could re-break his jaw. You could re-break his jaw. What's the, I mean, Then there's another 40 days. Then all of a sudden your rookie season's kaput. I, I think hockey players are wired differently. I think this return to injury in 41 days after breaking his jaw uh, just reminds us, it confirms it, it reconfirms it. Hockey players are wired differently, and that's not a play on words because of the wiring it took to keep his jaw together. <laughs> but this is a different breed. Yeah, any, any, any men that can walk around confidently <clears throat> and comfortably without teeth? You Duncan, know? <laughs> Duncan Keith in the 2010 Western Conference Finals coming back and playing after getting his teeth knocked out against the San Jose Sharks is a Chicago sports legend. And this is the same kind of mentality. You see it at every level of hockey. You know, you see it from the NHL, college, youth hockey, high school hockey. I mean, players just, it's the mentality. They bounce back. I, I, they're, as a pair, as a hockey dad, I can re- re- recall making decisions that I'm not proud of now. That I, yeah, oh, you, you can play. You want to play? <laughs> My son played a senior night with a hole in his lip. I mean, he had like a surgery five days earlier to repair it, and he's got a bandage in senior night. My wife really cringes every time she sees that picture. He played. I don't think it was a good decision. It's like a, it's like a broken jaw. It's not going to get – nobody's it, worried about it. It was one of my dumbest fatherly decisions no, ever. Stop, but don't say that. Hockey players are wired differently, and I think we saw that last night. Connor Bedard, rusty in the first period, looked like the best player in the ice for the Hawks after that. He's back. Yeah. Uh, it, was int- it was cool to see him out there. Obviously, getting the assist was good. Um, I think that if you're looking at the Blackhawks as an organization, I mean, you haven't, I haven't talked about them since the last time, since Connor <laughs> Bedard broke his jaw. So, I mean, this is the place. You're one of those. <laughs> yes, I you're am. You're one of those guys, Gabe. <laughs> and but I'm with 97%. I hear you. <laughs> All right. I'm done talking hockey. <laughs> okay, okay. Talk more hockey. Yeah. All right. So, the other big story in town. The one that I think surprised me less, it was in the sense of when, not if, but the Bears released Cody Whitehair and Eddie Jackson. Two very good Bears, two very solid veterans, good locker room guys, two guys who had to have seen the writing on the wall. Eddie Jackson had a quote attributed to him in December that, you know, God willing, I'll be here a year from now. He knew. Yeah. He was due $14 million. He's not worth that at this stage of his career. Got the big contract. Cody Whitehair, he was benched. He knew. These guys have the distinction, I think, of being two of the best draft picks that Ryan Pace ever made, and they lasted into the next regime, and now their Bears days are over. They save $21 million under the salary cap. This was inevitable, and this, to me, was part of the NFL business that gets conducted at this time of the year, and it was a smart call by Ryan Poles. Yeah, the timing, you know, obviously when you see the email, you know, slide across your screen from Bears PR saying that those two moves had happened, it's, it is shocking, even though you, again, as you mentioned, David, you were anticipating those moves. I was, I had some sort of hope that the Bears would restructure an Eddie Jackson deal. Why? Because people will say that, but I want to why. Yeah, yeah. I think two reasons. I think one, 
if you're if the if your answer to the safety position is a rookie, mm-hmm. right, an unproven rookie, a late round rookie, because that's what it's going to be. An aggressive. I'm going to prove something. I'm going to hit your rookie. Fair enough. Okay. Still a rookie, nonetheless. I think if you were able to get Eddie Jackson at a at a very discounted rate mm-hmm. to throw him in the mix, you know, as part of that pool, I think that is better for the team. Um, Possibly. That, that that'd be my only argument. Possibly would be the, the to offset the the because. I don't assume that the Bears are going to address that position in free agency. Why not? There are a lot of free agents available. There, there are, are a lot of affordable veteran guys you can get at a more affordable rate than Eddie Jackson was coming. 100%. That's why I mentioned the, restru- the, the, the restructuring of, of that deal. But what tier of a safety are you going to get? Are you t- trying to pay top dollar for a safety? I don't necessarily agree with that. I'd rather it be in the draft if you're talking about that position in particular. Why? I'm, I'm going to ask yeah. why a lot today. And I'm here for that. Because I think that... Because I think that I think those dollars are better... better. I just had this conversation with my brother, Brandon. I, I feel like those dollars are better allocated towards someone on the defensive line or a center. So for me... To, let, me ra- let me pose a hypothetical to you, and it's not that far-fetched. Yeah. They probably will keep Jalen Johnson, right? I, I would hope so. Franchise, transition tag, whatever the case yeah. may be. But... If for whatever reason he wants twenty million dollars a year, and you he's going to get nineteen to twenty one for sure. You got to make a call on that. You're not going to lose him for nothing. I I really think that's the least likely scenario. But could you justify if you're Ryan Poles taking that money, allocating some of those resources, and going after Antoine Winfield Jr. for instance, who's going to be an eighteen million dollar a year guy? He's a difference maker. Yeah, he's the kind of safety you do pay that kind of money to. He's the guy that you want to, but I, I don't think that's realistic for the Bears, but I do think it's an option out there. Right, and it's, it's so funny. It's like I'm literally arguing with my brother. He, that's the name he brought up yesterday. He's like, hey, but what about Anton? And I said, I'd rather have Daniel Hunter. I'd rather that money go towards an explosive, dominant defensive lineman to go alongside Montez Sweat and have a, have a rookie. You know, like I said, if, if you're going to go that route. I'd go the other route, I think. You'd rather have Anton Winfield Jr. and a, and a fourth-round defensive end? Yes. You know why? Why? It's a really good debate among the very good debates in this city right now. And it is a you think debate. You think, so you're, you're, Here's you, why. Here's why. You Let think the safety's going to make a bigger difference, though? That safety? Yeah. The guy's 25 years old. He's an all-pro safety. If this is a direct question, would you rather have Antoine Winfield Jr. and a fourth-round, mid-round, Defensive end doesn't even have to be mid round. A rookie defensive end opposite Montez Sweat, or a veteran thirty year old who. Hold on! Don't 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 crap on the guy. <laughs> he's Daniel Hunter. I know he's, he's still Daniel Hunter. The, what does he have left in the tank? Oh. Or him and a rookie safety? Mid round rookie safety. I'm <laughs> wondering. I'm wondering. I, I don't think it's an automatic uh, yes for me that I would rather have Hunter and the rookie safety rather than Winfield and the rookie pass rusher. Yeah, I think when I think about that argument, I try to think who can affect the defense more, the current defense, not necessarily separating the positions and removing everyone else. It's the entire defense, and I feel good about the secondary. Mm -hmm. And I think if you put a, you know, let's just call it mediocre safety there and a dominant end, I think your defense is better than having a mediocre rookie defensive end and a very good safety to add to that group that's already good. It's a really good argument. It's a football discussion and debate that I think goes back a long way. Which is more valuable and impactful? Pass rusher or pass defender? 
And I think the argument in Chicago has been pass rusher for the last two or three years. That's that's true. If you have, I I always think though, that's a big role to play in a cover two defense, the free safety position. Eddie Jackson, to me, to me, this is tough to say goodbye to him. There's some sentimental attachment for people in the city. I get it, but he was not a willing tackler at all. I agree. Often enough. He was not a impact player often enough. And he had dropped off considerably. So I think that I envision, boy, if they could replace him with the kind of guy that 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 he was in 2018, the kind of player that Winfield is now, that would be exciting. I can't imagine you spending forty million dollars in your secondary on two guys. That's 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 a big ask, and I don't. I think that's unrealistic. I think that's a good, that's a very good way to look at it. But you're also suggesting then that you're going to invest how much in your bookend rush ends. So Montez Sweat's locked up and loaded for ninety eight million dollars. That's a great signing and extension. You're going to pay somebody similar money commensurate with that salary opposite him. That's what you're suggesting. I would be more inclined to say your argument makes sense to me if it were a defensive tackle, a guy that. But I don't know who that person is out there. Yeah, I think the I think the money will be a level lower than Montez Sweat. I don't think it would be equal. So I think that'll be you know a good one there because of the age, and I think that that definitely factors in. But I, I just want to know why Hunter has been well traveled, or why he has been moving around lately it's or a great question you know what what is it about his more recent past that has him on the move again so there's that lack of stability that makes me wonder about pass rushers how do they age does everyone age at the same rate I'm not saying I'm not saying that I won't come around and see it that way Gabe but I think that as we talked this morning all these hypotheticals you see those names on the list there's only that one, Winfield's <laughs> man, like, wow, yeah, yeah, yeah. would like to have him. But that was big news yesterday. Eddie Jackson, former Bear. Cody Whitehair will not get as much fanfare, certainly, on the way out because he was benched and replaced. But he he served the Bears very well. Played multiple positions, kind of slotted in wherever they asked him to be, and really wanted to be there. There were moments last year where he was like, hey, I want to be the center. I, and I think that his – Inability to snap the ball is one of the stranger things. <laughs> Why was Chuck he not the center? Kind of <laughs> if they always said, you know, we want our best five out there, he was a better blocker than Lucas Patrick, but he could not snap the ball. Was it a case of the yips? Because the shotgun snaps were, like, strangely inconsistent and Cons- erratic. Consistently inconsistent. <laughs> so what was it with that? I mean, he couldn't do it. It was like Chuck Knobloch throwing to second from second base. Steve Saxton over there. I mean, he was like the Alabama center every snap. Yeah. He didn't want that. So, Cody Whitehair, I wonder if he'll play again. I think Eddie Jackson will find a home. Certainly. Eddie Jackson will go somewhere. Jaguars, Panthers, something like that, one of those teams. Somewhere down, you think, in the south? Mm -hmm. Because he's – Some Alabama ties. Yeah. I think he'll find a defense where he doesn't have to do anything except for defend the pass. Falcons, Ryan Pace connection maybe oh good call that's a very good call i said this on the take the north podcast which drops 
later this morning. I think I think I lost what day it was. <laughs> it is Friday, eight o'clock. Yes, 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 it will drop. No, it dropped last night. What am I talking about? <laughs> it dropped last night. Okay, this is a great promo. But digress. <laughs> I think that Eddie Jackson was the best draft pick that Ryan Pace made. Yeah, it's hard to argue against that. It's not a, I thought that was more profound than your shrug suggested. Yeah, okay. Well, you'd have you'd have to have like right. six guys up there that it would be he'd be going up against in order for it to be like you're basically saying he didn't have many good draft picks. He had a couple good drafts, but later round draft picks, right? So it wasn't anyone those Eddie Jackson was a fourth, fourth round yeah, pick, fourth round pick coming, coming off, off an injury, it, yeah, right. And in a span of as Weeder reminded me, in a span of like 22 minutes, that draft in 2017, the Bears drafted Eddie Jackson and Tariq Cohen in the later rounds. That's getting it done. On day two. So maybe Ryan Pace would offer in Atlanta a good landing spot for Eddie Jackson. I could see that. Yeah. It's a great call, Brandon. Just don't make him tackle. (laughs) Other Bears news. uh, Sad news. Steve McMichael was rushed to the hospital last night in New Lenox. He was taken to the emergency room. They feared pneumonia. It turned out to be a urinary tract infection. But any kind of infection at his state fighting ALS is a huge concern. His publicist, Betsy Shepard, sent out uh, an alert on his way to the hospital and then a clarification or an update, more of an update, later in the night that it was a UTI. And so everybody around Chicago, uh, obviously, in light of his Hall of Fame induction last week, there's a heightened awareness of Steve McMichael's plight right now. And I think it's a good thing because a lot of people, it's easy to pull for Mongo. The amount of love that has been directed towards him has been incredible over the last year. And not just because of, you know, what he's dealing with from a health standpoint, but, you know, a celebration of his career that has been happening where, you know, you weren't then reminded what kind of impact he had, not only for the Chicago Bears, but in in the NFL. And to see it happen and and play out the way that it has has been kind of beautiful, uh, to to be very clear. Uh, And I think that I I wish – I wish I could have. I wish I could know what he was, what he's, what he was feeling, knowing that. You know, there is this enshrinement that will be happening for him. Gary Fensick was on the program earlier in the week, and I asked him how aware Steve McMichael was of what was happening when he was there, in the when his teammates gathered and his family was there and his friends were surrounding him when he got the news, and he basically said that in the in the way in the limited fashion that he can communicate now, he was clearly aware of what was going Hell on. Yeah. <laughs> so there was a satisfaction level that he was able to appreciate and enjoy. And I think that's the big thing. That's why getting him in this class, getting him elected now, while he's still alive to at least appreciate what he accomplished on the field is what made last week so special. And to have your, your teammates there, to hear something, obviously, I didn't, I didn't, I didn't hear Gary on the station, you know, saying that. What a beautiful story! I think it brings a smile to a lot of Chicagoans' faces to know that that is what's happening. And you know, like you mentioned, any infection at this state is is difficult. And so, shout out to Betsy for keeping us afloat on everything that's happening. And hopefully, we can get continued updates. It's a big story. It was the lead Huge. story on NBC Five last night and the ten o'clock news. There's a lot of interest. There's a lot of attention. We're all invested. Dave. We're all invested. By the way, I stand corrected. Daniil Hunter is not well-traveled. He spent his entire career with the Vikings, but there seems to be. Okay, that's a, that's a huge difference. But <laughs> the, 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 he was 
wasn't he leaving the Vikings at one point? There's been some questions around his. I need to look into his yeah. past. He's been around since 2015. He's not a young man, Gabe. He's not a young man. I, I worry about pass rushers as they age. You loved you loved Robert Quinn for a couple seasons. That's all I need Daniel Hunter for. Okay, I, I I have I have to wonder about that though. Look, moving forward, the other big story in sports nationally, it's kind of a local regional story. Caitlin Clark broke the NCAA women's basketball scoring record. She did it by scoring the first eight points for Iowa against Michigan on her home floor. There were national network news cameras there. There was the Wall Street Journal. Uh, She is a phenomena. She is the most famous, popular college basketball player, men or in the men's or women's game right now. And Caitlin Clark now has 3,000. 569 career points, 49. That was crazy. Last night. And she broke it as only she could, a logo three. (laughs) Which is awesome. A logo three. And she pulled up, crossed half court, let it fly, nothing but net. (laughs) And so this is what she had to say about that decision to shoot. I started crying watching that video just because, like, I'm I'm just filled with so much gratitude and love, and um, the way the fa- these fans support women's basketball is so much special. It's so special, and um, yeah, I mean, you all knew I was going to shoot a logo three for the record. Come on now, <laughs> <laughs> y'all knew I was going to shoot that three. Gotta love the confidence. Over fifty percent from the field, fifty percent from the three point line, forty nine point like that. Like like that's an unreal stat line. To have 49 points on 16 for 31 shooting, I mean, it's not like you're just putting up 30 shots and shooting 40 free throws like Donovan Mitchell did when he had 60 against the Bulls. Right? This is this is actually you're balling. You're on the court balling and killing people. And let's not forget, you had 13 assists. You were dishing the ball, scoring and distributing. Beth Getz is the Iowa Athletic Director. She will join us at 925, friend of the program. So we'll talk about what it was like to – be in the gym when history was made on Thursday night. We also have a big show. Brad Biggs at 7, Casey Johnson at 8, Charlie Rumeliotis from NBC Sports Chicago, the hockey guy at 8.45. Grody, it's Grody time at 9. And Gabe is in for Mully all day. The pick six is next. It's Mully and Haw, Chicago Sports Radio, 670 The Score. It's pick six with Mully and Haw where we debate the top six sports stories of the day and then open it up to you, the Chicago sports fan. Call us at 312-644-6767 or you can tweet your thoughts at Mully Haw. Pick six with Mully and Haw starts now. What was your reaction to the Bears releasing veterans Eddie Jackson and Cody Whitehair saving as much as $21.7 million under the salary cap? How hard will either guy be to replace? This was a smart move by Ryan Poles. I think it also suggested to anyone who might have wondered that there will be no emotion in the equation when you're putting together your roster. Not in the NFL. You have to remove sentiment. You can't be emotionally attached to players even if they served you well. And Cody Whitehair and Eddie Jackson served the Bears very well. They did not do a lot of winning here. The Bears haven't won uh, much while they were in town. 2018, that was it. Both guys had strong years in 2018. As we said previously, 
they have the distinction of being two of the most outstanding draft picks from the Ryan Pace era. But that was a long time ago. Now I don't think the Bears have anybody that was drafted before 2020 on their team, by the team. That any, anybody that the Bears drafted before 2020. Mm. I think that speaks to how young they are, how much they're still in sort of a rebuild mode, but they've got to be a playoff contender in 2024 or else what, what's the purpose here? I think Eddie Jackson will land somewhere for sure and could be a starting NFL free safety in 2024. That position, especially, you can plug and play guys. You can see guys stick around for a while and learn systems quickly. You saw it in heck. San Francisco played Tayshawn Gibson, a guy that came to the Bears after another career elsewhere and still has some value to good defenses. Although we got Steve Wilkes fired. (laughs) So, I mean, but you get the point. Eddie Jackson will likely land somewhere as a starter. Cody Whitehair... If he still wants to play, I still think he could be one of those guys that provides quality depth. Maybe he fills in uh, a roster spot on a depth chart. He's somebody who's easy to have in the locker room and certainly can be a great example if you have younger offensive linemen looking for one. So you wish both guys well. Ryan Poles made the difficult uh, decision, and it was difficult only because of what they meant emotionally to fans and maybe the organization. But you remove emotion from the equation. This was a smart move, and it was inevitable. I mean, we all kind of saw this coming. It was just a matter of when with this one. I mean, Eddie Jackson, I w- you said he was Ryan Pace's greatest pick. And I was trying to argue with that just in case for this segment. But, like, I got to give it to you, Dave. You're right. I'm looking at all his picks. I'm like, ooh. And so, yes, two-time Pro Bowler. I mean, you know he's on the list for one of the 100 greatest bears of all time. Yes, he was 80 80- Eight or eight I just water. like I'm like, man, like that's to me it's just crazy. I that was is shocked crazy. About that. I, I didn't see that coming, but I'm but I am with Gabe on this when he said earlier in the segment. Like, I, I mean, I feel like you can get a safety anyway. You get like a one year type of deal with a safety until you draft someone along the way. Now, white hair. Now, I was listening one time. Gabe was doing evenings. He was arguing the fact that should you really draft a center. And I was listening to that, and he, and he had some good stats with that, too. I, I think also, I think you could look up a free agent type of center that can fill in, like, for his spot with that one. But overall, these moves, I saw coming. I mean, we all saw it coming a mile away. Brandon, tell me more about how I'm amazing. I gave both of you guys are amazing. What kind of center metrics did you have? Hey, hey, I do research. I have time Was it like pro football focus or something like that? Yeah, it was was a good segment. You had me tuned in. It has to be a gambling aspect. No, no, it was more about talking about how how centers grade out in their first couple of years and how they, they never grade in the top 20 in the first couple of years and centers and it was just a bunch of stuff like that. So uh, <laughs> Cody Whitehair, uh, for me, and, and just so everybody knows, the center that I actually want the Bears to sign is Aaron Brewer, Tennessee Titans. Okay. Talk to my guy from that covers the Tennessee Titans here on 670. The score he was telling me the Brewers are a stud. Derrick Henry loves running behind them. And if the Bears were looking at Nate Davis, they just look, I'm sure they saw the same tape of Aaron Brewer there playing center for the Titans. So a uh, nice little uh, place right there. Eddie Jackson, however, He's one of those guys where me, as a, as a Bears fan, you just love anyone that puts on the jersey. So you kind of, like, cheer for him. You want him to do well. You believe in him. You know, you, you, you believe what he says. And 
I think more so than anything else, Eddie Jackson, like Jalen Johnson, can see that the Bears are headed in the right direction. And I'm sure it sucks to a certain degree where you've been with a team for so long and as they are turning the corner, your fate now belongs to another team. And so I think there's a sentimental value there where I think about the restructuring, but replacing either guy is going to be easy, especially when you have 21 point something million dollars to do. Yep. Yeah, that's a good question. What was your reaction to the news Thursday when the Hawks announced that Connor Bedard would play Thursday night just 41 days after breaking his jaw? Smart move or reckless? What did you think of the kids' play? Connor Bedard was out for 41 days? No, I'm just playing. <laughs> I did that for David. 14 games, Gabe. <laughs> 14 long, miserable, grueling games. Um, I think it was great. I think the fact that David Hall was excited, then I knew it was time for me to be excited about the Blackhawks as well. Um, but I think it just goes to show, again, I've been talking about it a lot for the last couple of days, where the NHL, I feel like the NHL got involved. And that part is icky. Um, I do love the fact that David pointed out that, you know, hockey players are wired different, so I'm sure he himself wanted to get back on the ice. So I do think it was a smart move. Why? Because you need some sort of momentum to continue to build for the Blackhawks. It started at the beginning of the season. Every, it felt like every game of theirs was on TV. People were talking about the Blackhawks, and then it kind of just went dark. So the fact that he's back, the fact that he's playing, I thought it was a smart move. In terms of what do I think of the kids play, you come in, you get an assist, you have a couple of blocks, you get yourself on the ice, and you're a presence. And I think that for me overall, for a guy that had one practice leading into that game, I think I think he did I think he did well. And I think that, you know, Blackhawks are back, baby. They're back. They lost. I don't know if they're back. <laughs> like, yeah. They're back. <laughs> I mean they're back on my they're radar. Ba- they're they're back to being like you want to watch him on TV and you want to see Connor Bedard play. I was a little shocked by the news when it was announced. I thought it was like maybe a game or two early. I thought he'll be back sometime next week. Um, with that being said, though, I mean, he played good. He was rusty. He was already the best player. I mean, we already know he's the best player, but just for him to be gone for like, what, six weeks, a month and a half, and then you come back by the second period, get your assist. I mean, they needed it. And just the fact that this team is so much on national TV, it makes me go back to think to the point, too, of like, man, did the NHL like, hey, like we not for this game, but like, hey, we need him to start yeah. showing up. Because this is, I mean, let's face it, this is one of the worst teams in the NHL, okay? <laughs> so why would you want one of the worst teams in the NHL on, you know, national TV? It's because of Conor Bedard, so it's great to see him back. You got to have some type of excitement because it's really Conor Bedard and there's really not much else right now. So, good move. I think that even though we're about six weeks out from the injury and people said, well, you know, six six weeks, still not a surprise. The fact that he hadn't practiced with contact made you wonder. And when I asked Chris Chelios on Wednesday if the next time we talked to him would Connor Bedard be, uh, you know, after a game that he had played, he said, oh, yeah, sure. And I was a little bit skeptical even then. So I was surprised, and at the end of the program yesterday, I'm glad we mentioned that possibility because word was had begun to spread that he had gotten the clearance from the doctors and he had talked them into wanting him to, you know, he's, he's antsy. He wants to be on the ice. Special guys have special uh, approaches, and, and Connor Bedard's, he just never wants to be anywhere but on the ice with a stick in his hands, and... I thought it was a little bit fast, but then you watch the game. It took him a period to probably readjust and recalibrate. And then he was the way he typically has been. Smooth, aggressive, 
He had the assist. He sees the ice like nobody else, and he was the best player for the Hawks. A very bad team. They could be drafting very high again, and they have prospects on the way. So, you know, the, enjoy this. The rest of the league now. The Hawks are coming. The mm-hmm. Hawks will be coming. And it was exciting, even though I was a little bit cautious in watching. And so I wanted to check to see how excited I was. I sent a text to my son as soon as I got the news. I think I used four exclamation points. Oh, wow. I am not an exclamation point guy. And I used four of them to say, Bedard is back, baby. I only got, I only got two exclamation points. When you, you? Te- when you text me that. Did I, I texted you too? <laughs> yeah. Oh, that's right, I did. There's a game. Two ex- Well, see, I was more excited with my son. Of course, you should be. I wanted to talk him into going to the game with yeah. me. And he, was, he wasn't available. Yeah, yeah. He tried to hype me. And my wife wasn't interested. No, it's a valid question, uh, certainly on the minds of a lot of people. As the Bulls hit the all-star break with Kobe White, really the brightest spot of the season, let's consider what his ceiling is. All-star, superstar. Does White have any precedent for his development from homegrown draft pick into breakout player? I don't know that Kobe White is superstar material. That would be what? Top 10, top 15 in the league? I don't know that he's capable of that. And I don't know that... I hate when we compliment players and we start talking about what they're not capable of accomplishing because I think all all the things about Kobe White this year need to be positive. He has put himself in a position... To have this conversation. What is he capable of? He was the seventh overall pick in the draft. Those guys have high ceilings. When you watch the way he plays now, that's the way he played at North Carolina. He was aggressive, looking for a shot, hunting those opportunities. And I do think he's a 20-point-a-night guy. Easily. I do think he's probably a 40% three-point shooter. Easily. Is that a superstar level? Maybe. Is he a 30-point-a-night guy? That would be superstar level. He's a core piece that you want to build with and around. I don't know that he is superstar yet. Capable of being an all-star multiple times. To me, the precedent is there for him with the Bulls. Jimmy Butler did not become what he is now with the Bulls. They had to trade him, and then the Timberwolves had to trade him, and then the Sixers had to trade him, and then he had to learn with the Heat how to be that guy, right? right. But I do think that when you see Jimmy Butler's tenacity in approaching improvement and being that taking that work ethic with him every single night, if Kobe White has that kind of hunger within him, he is capable of doing anything he wants. I think this shows like the more opportunity and more confidence you get, you can really see the growth and development of an NBA player like Kobe White. The fact of like he was trying to work on his dribbling, working on his shooting during the offseason. And you could tell he, he, he just he looks better overall. I think he's better playing the the two maybe than the one on this one. But, I mean, obviously that means Zach Levine, you know, probably has to move around. But then that's more opportunities for him. I do agree with you, David. Like, this is a player you could build around. I do see at least all-star potential maybe a couple of times. I kind of wish he was a little bit rewarded for his play so far. I know the Bulls are pretty bad. But, like, I wish he was, like, maybe in a three-point contest or something. Like, I would like to see some type of Bulls. Bigger stage. Yeah, represent. Yeah, so I kind of wanted to see that. So I was kind of, like, bummed that he didn't get that. But... I mean, overall, the the future looks bright for Kobe White. Kobe White, currently in the 2023-2024 season, averaging career highs in points, career highs in assists, career highs in rebounds, career highs in three-point percentage. It's really impressive. And field goal percentage. 
All of these are career highs for Kobe White this season. Obviously, he's getting more opportunities with more minutes being played. But as you mentioned, David, it, it shows that when you do put in the work, Brandon, that was a great point that you mentioned about the dribbling because I know it gets brought up a lot. But when you're thinking about an NBA player, I always think back to Kobe and saying, like, every summer I worked on something. That's how I became great. And clearly, Kobe White worked on his dribbling. This year, he's working on his aggressiveness, going towards the rim, being able to take the contact, using his big frame. But there is a ceiling for Kobe White. The reason he is averaging 30 points a game is because there is no true one on the Chicago Bulls, right? It is a 500 team that he is excelling on. So, you know, could he be an all-star? Certainly for a bad team. Not on a good team, though. He is a, a, a component. Wait, go ahead. I don't agree with that at you all. You think Kobe White could be an all-star on a good team? Yes. No. Yes. He wouldn't have the opportunities just, that he has. You just told me what he's shooting. You just told me all the stats. Yeah, you just on, a, made me on the Bulls, on a 500 team. He wouldn't be able to do that if he was playing with actual stars. You put him on, let's say. Yeah, pick a team. Pick a team, Celtics. Of course not. He's like the fifth option. Of course he's not making the all-star M- team as a Celtics. Maybe even a pick, bench player. Pick any other pick. <laughs> Pick okay, the top right. 12 team I'm gonna think about this. We yeah. gotta get to the other questions. Oh, okay. you have just stumped me for the morning. <laughs> okay, so I, 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 ceiling, ceiling. My first definitely reaction not a superstar, is, what are you talking about? in a bad team. He can't. He's an all-star in a good team, and I'm thinking, okay, does that make sense? I need to think this through. Let's move on. That's a great question, Paul. MLB Commissioner Rob Manfred announced that he will retire when his current term ends in 2029. Is that news? What do you think of when you think of Manfred and how might his legacy change, if at all, in the final five years on the job? The first thing I think of is Bud Selig. <laughs> I'm like, I'm like, oh, damn, he's retiring already. I thought it was just, but that happened back in 2015. So uh, he will have a nice tenure. I think the really cool thing about Rob Manfred, when you're thinking about the lockout of 2020, or almost lockout of 2022, you think about who he is as an individual. He's the labor lawyer for, the, for MLB. That's who he was prior to. So he was at the negotiation table. I've sat in union meetings where you had to negotiate against the actual company itself. It, it, it's, it's silly. You have, no, you have no power. They control everything. And Rob Manfred is clearly a guy who understood that power and had it bleed into his reign as, as MOB commissioner. But he is going to be responsible for the, the speeding up of the game, which I think is extremely important. Um, there are a couple of other things that he'll be known for, but for me, that is the most important. And so for, I don't think... If he wants to change something in his legacy, what, adding a couple of teams? I think that'll be important. Outside of that, I mean, I think it'll be interesting just to, to keep everybody on the same page, get, speed the game up a little bit more, and just, you know, have the game continue to be fun. But I think he's done an excellent job, you know, in his tenure, you know, while he's been there. I think if you ask MLB fans, I don't think they're a fan of Rod Manford. Ask, I, any, ask, ask any professional sports commissioner. <laughs> I mean, NBA, NBA they, yeah. love, they love Adam Silver. Oh, right. Adam that's Silver right. is very okay. popular. Right. Good um, comeback. But I, I would say this. When I think of him, I think of certain quotes. that like, I think he was asked one time, Did, do we hate baseball? Like, and then the piece of metal thing. So it's like, do you really care about them? Like, to me, he's a businessman. Like you say, he, he's working for the owners. But, like, at the same time, though, one of the things I would definitely will give him credit for to piggyback off what Gabe said, like he saw that there was maybe a problem or he noticed something with MLB being too long. He kept hearing that. And then once I guess it was like the COVID season, like shortened up the game a little bit and then using some of that even to now. And I think that did help out a little bit. I think it, you know, the, the speed of the game, I, you like that because you want more action. So I would give him credit for that one. Speed of the game, I think that's big. Playoff expansion, I think that was good. 
uh, increase in attendance will be attributed to both of those things, so I think he's responsible for that. There's always going to be the piece of metal comment. There's always going to be the fact that he uh, went into, looked into the Astros scandal and gave those players immunity. What are you doing there, Rob Manfred? And there's going to be just his prickly personality has been difficult to embrace for baseball fans. So it will be a mixed legacy. He has an opportunity to change it over the last five years, certainly. Um, I think it's been a tenure that has been good for the owners because baseball is growing, and I do think it will continue to grow and maybe expand. But I think the, the pitch clock was huge, and he presided over that. But the thing about this story that bothers me, okay, we all should be so lucky to say, you know what I'm going to do in five years? I'm going to be employed and well-paid and, and not have anything to worry about. Yes. And then in 2029, I'm going to walk away because, you know what, I have that luxury. Well, thank you, Rob, but I really don't care what you're doing in 2029. At 70. <laughs> At 70. Oh, great. Why is this a headline? Why is this a story? This is happening in five years. What are you going to be doing in five years, Gabe? What am I going to be doing in five years? I would like to think. Not retiring. Not retiring. (laughs) But you'd like to think that you're going to be in a good job and maybe in the job you're in, maybe in a better job. Rob Manfred, can you really tell me that, okay, does does this mean over the next five years he's not going to be ousted no matter what he does? That's job security. If you're going to announce now what's going to happen to you in five years and how you're going to walk off and ride off into the sunset, wow, do you have a charmed life. I'm not talking necessarily about a pick six or something like that. Kyle Hendricks talked on Thursday about being in the only place he wanted to be, in a Cubs uniform. Do you think that Hendricks retires a Cub? How do you envision him slotting into the rotation, top of the rotation guy or fourth or fifth starter? Or do you consider Hendricks, who is in the final year of a contract that the team picked up the option for, trade bait and a candidate to be flipped at the deadline? I hope not, but I wonder if that's the case. You look at his deal, the club picked up the option, and he's going to be a productive pitcher on a pretty good team. But I do also know the Cubs very high on their young pitchers in the, in the system. And I do know that if they are still lacking a bat – at the trade deadline, I wonder how they're going to go out and get it. More likely to use young pitchers than a veteran, but maybe Kyle Hendricks is a guy that somebody like maybe the Orioles. Did you see they're still looking now for pitchers because their guys aren't opening ready, uh, going to be ready by opening day. Maybe Kyle Hendricks is somebody who is sought and targeted by contenders. I want him to retire a Cub. I want him to be here forever. I want him to be here in five years when Rob Manfred retires. <laughs> I hope great. Kyle Hendricks is still in a Cub uniform. Unlikely... But he can go out on his terms. I hope he stays forever because he's the easiest guy in a Cub uniform to like. I mean, of course, any player, I mean, if they like their current situation, they don't want to keep getting traded. So, of course, he wants to retire a Cub. And, you know, and it would be nice to have him there, especially with the whole, you know, he was there when the Cubs were in the World Series and stuff like that. But, but, but right. <laughs> I I mean, right now, what he's penciled in is what the number two starter. Yeah, I feel going in after Steele makes sense, but I feel like over time he's going to move down a little bit, maybe like three, four along the line, and it really depends on where the Cubs are at. I mean, look, if if the Cubs are in the playoff like hunt again, like they were last year, it's very if it's similar to last year, I don't I don't see them making a move. I don't see that happening. I like moving him for that, maybe probably acquiring some assets, but. 
I, I don't see nothing in that one. So it really, to me, depends on where the Cubs at. And I mean, right now going into it, he looks like probably potential, maybe a, some trade bait to me. Wow. I, I, I trying to be optimistic. I hope that's not the case. I hope the Cubs are in a position where they still need him uh, at the trade deadline so that he won't be necessarily someone that they want to flip. Or maybe to your point, Brandon, young guys actually do perform well enough where you can actually you know, bring something back for Hendricks. As far as where I see him in the rotation, the, the good thing for the Cubs is that he can be a one through five guy for you. He literally can be at the top of the rotation in the event of an injury and give you six, maybe seven innings and keep you in a game. Or if your pitchers are performing well, he can be your fourth, fifth guy that you're not necessarily banking on for a victory, but someone that can, you know, bring the rotation back around. So I think that's a great position for them to be in. I do think he'll retire Cub, whether it's, you know, on a one-day contract or, you know, if he stays Those are so lame. for the rest of the thing. What? Those are so lame. What is lame about a one-day contract? <laughs> Come on, man. It's all for ceremony. That's nonsense. I, I know. That's what's beautiful about oh, it. Oh, I hate those things. What, what, what? Let's gather together to sign get a one-day contract. Get off my lawn, David Hall. What, no, what are you talking about? No, that's not about? get off my lawn. That's not old man thinking. That, that no. does sound like that. What's, big, what's a it's big It's beautiful. Deal? It's the old man thinking. Luol Dane comes back, Whoa. signs a one-day contract with the Bulls so he can retire a bull? Yeah, let's reminisce about that. I <laughs> oh mean, one-day contracts are the dumbest thing in sports. Why would you have a one-day contract? I mean, everybody remembers it's you symbolic, anyway. But it's symbolic. Oh, you have great. the opportunity to say it. Give him a gold watch and move on. <laughs> I'm just answering your question. We'll get back to that. Please. We talked Thursday about how Chris Getz should view his job as the White Sox general manager. Do you think Getz believes he has assets to trade for prospects? After Luis Robert and Dylan Cease, who are the two or three most tradable assets on the Sox? Oh, my goodness. Uh, I think first and foremost, Getz, without question, believes he has the assets to trade for prospects. He's been a scout on the team for however many years so I think that you know he understands or probably values the talent of the White Sox a bit differently than anyone else so he he feels like he can't package some guys together um as far as you know trade pieces for the Chicago White Sox oh my gosh it's slim it really is slim I mean you don't want to get rid of any of the younger guys like a like a Garrett Crochet or anything like that they need to be cornerstones uh no the answer is no I mean, not anyone that, that is of value. I mean, even if you dangled the Yohan Mankata, a Gavin Sheets, somebody like that. Gavin uh, Sheets, I forgot about him. You know, a, a Ben Attendee, because you're just like, hey, let's just, you know, get some young guys out there. Like, they're not people that teams are lining up for. So, I don't, it'd be tough to go down to actually call them valuable assets. Um, but there are some guys that can be packaged, that's for sure. I mean... <laughs> I know. That's that how, that, that's that whole hesitation. <laughs> right, like... After Dylan Cease and Luis Roberts, like, who, who else can you trade off this? There's nobody on this team that's where you got to have a bounce back year for Kopech, Mokata, Benintendi. Like, it's so many, like, ifs with this. They got, like, what, a 0% chance or something like this. This team is horrible. And, and I'm a Sox fan. And I, and I want them to prove me wrong. I mean, look, I was on Facebook, and I went on the White Sox Facebook page. And it's pathetic because they – they they showed the picture like they showed all the pictures and stuff like that underneath each one they had to put the name underneath it because you don't know nobody <laughs> on this team it's That's ridiculous so great. it's just like no no not there's nobody on this team no and then there was a big picture of smiling ex royals in Sox uniforms the Sox have 
tradable assets. Yoan Mankata, somebody would want, right? Maybe. What about Andrew Vaughn? He's number one. If you're going to trade to get something in return, if you are committed to a rebuild and you're going to protect Luis Robert, you're going to trade Dylan Cease. The Orioles are coming for Dylan Cease. Bruce told me to mention that today. We need to get into that later. The Orioles are going to be coming for Dylan Cease. But when you look outside of Cease and Robert, I'm thinking Andrew Vaughn. I'm thinking Yoan Mankata. I'm thinking Michael Kopech. <sighs> Would Michael Kopech bring anything in return? A change of scenery might be what this guy is begging for, what his arm talent would bring. I just think that when you see him continue to have all the unfulfilled potential, and you know, I, I love the, the Sox beat. They do a great job. All the stories after Michael Kopech spoke yesterday, they read just like they did a year ago. Michael Kopech's you know, committed to this and committed to that. So, you know, it, it is an exercise in futility trying to find Sox assets that are worth trading. That's how difficult the job is. Chris Getz has a difficult job. I still think, as we said yesterday, though, he has every reason to love the challenge. I would get to work every day excited, and I would call the Orioles every single day. I love that his question was yesterday, have the Orioles called you since, they, <laughs> since their injuries about Dylan Cease? Not today, but it was early. And I think that they should get on the phone and maybe try to you know, get this process going because going into the season, every start Dylan Cease makes, even though desperate times call for desperate measures and teams may be able to give up more at the deadline, you risk injury. And baseball pitchers are not hockey players. They have an ingrown toenail or a, a, blister. You know, a blister. They're going on the I.L., Bedard would say, okay, I'm going to skip a shift. I'm I'll pitch on my left hand. <laughs> All right, that's the pick six. When we come back, the extra point. Talk a little bit about the Bears and the quarterback situation, which is a raging debate around Chicago because that is what people are talking about, including Rex Ryan. We'll talk about that next on the extra point. It's Mully and Haw. Gabe in for Mully. Chicago Sports Radio 670. Set up this extra point. It's time for the Extra Point with Mully and Haw on 670 The Score. What did you make of Rex Ryan and what he said about Justin Fields and the Bears being better off surrounding him with talent? I think they should get the three first-round picks and a second-round pick. What they're talking, the rumors out there about what they could get for, for that. I mean, it seems like anybody that makes those kind of trades always ends out being the team that wins in these things. And you have Justin Fields. I think Justin Fields is a rare talent. I'm a huge Justin Fields believer. You have a lot of cap space to lock him up. Uh, Adam, you talked about the support. Yeah. His players love him. All right, yes. absolutely love him, especially more. And so to me, that, that means something to me, that he, maybe you're building that locker room up. Now you get all this capital to build your football team up like Detroit has, things like that. To me, it makes all the sense in the world to keep Justin Field. It's one side of the argument. It is part of the debate that I feel like is a little manufactured. I do feel like that, and I, I took some heat on X yesterday for – suggesting that there really is not much of a debate in Chicago because it's obvious to everyone who's evaluating the quarterback uh, position and, and the quarterbacks coming out in the draft what they would do. 
and it does go back, and I'm going to continue to go back to this. What is your ambition? Rex Ryan talks like a defensive coach would talk. And maybe Matt Eberflus in his heart of hearts would love the idea and embrace the plan of building up his depth chart and getting defensive assets with those draft picks and then playing a complementary style of football that doesn't require your quarterback to be that elite because your defense is the star. Your quarterback is not the guy. Uh, That scenario is plausible. It can get you a division title. It can get you maybe even into the AFC Championship game as Rex Ryan did with a guy named Mark Sanchez. Right? Didn't he take San- the Sanchez to the AFC Championship the game? Sanchez, I love that. I-, I just don't think that he's ever coached an elite quarterback. He can't speak from experience. In Baltimore, when he was a defensive coordinator, I don't know that he had those kind of examples of guys who elevated everybody else's game. So Rex Ryan is very good at his role as an analyst. And he's so good as an analyst, maybe nobody wants to employ him as a coach anymore. I don't know what the case is, but... I'm not going to take his word as gospel. You add it to the equation, you could counter it easily. Kurt Warner was on the station yesterday, I believe, talking about how it really isn't that difficult because you have to take Justin, uh, you have to take Kayla Williams because there are too many unknowns about Justin Fields. We'll get to that audio later, perhaps. This is going to be a football conversation. It's a good one, worth having. And so Rex Ryan saying this. Maybe, you know, you you take it in, you acknowledge it, but it doesn't sway me. I can't wait till we hear, like, the reports of what was offered for the number one pick because then it makes you really want to debate, like, man, should I keep Justin and take these three first-round picks? Or, you know, then that makes it a little bit more interesting. But, I mean, my biggest thing is it's just tough because I really do think about the contract like he got two more years right now and I know people are going to say like the coaching says it's the coach and it's the and it, and it probably is Justin Fields might go somewhere else and be amazing maybe but he just hasn't been with us and I just think the fact that you gotta pay him and what what type of contract would you pay him right now Daniel Jones type money no. you want to give him no. Daniel Jones money no. you want to give him Geno Smith type money no that, that's what I'm saying so and then if you do that like, look at the, you do that, then that kind of messes up everyone else on this team, kind of, when it comes to the the cap. And now, like I said, I don't know how much Justin Fields is worth right now. It's just, I, I would just start fresh right now, get a quarterback. And I, and I'm a, I like Justin Fields. I'm not, I really do. I, I really wish that he worked with the Bears, but it just looked like business wise, the optics, I would just say just draft a quarterback with that number one pick. Yeah, you heard Greg Olson say it. Hey man, if, if resetting the resetting the clock is so important, right? Financially, I'm talking about Greg Olson, right? What he's saying, and when you're looking at Justin Fields, I understand the argument. Surround him with talent, and therefore you will make him better. That is a true statement. Justin Fields will be better if you put talent around him. The question is, and part that that stops me from moving forward with that statement and, and that path is when I look at other teams around the league. There are very good quarterbacks that did not win the Super Bowl who have good teams around them. But there's only one team who had a really good quarterback that won the Super Bowl. And for me, I'm trying to be part of the latter, not the former. And I think that if you surround Justin with talent, I think you become just that. I think you just become another decent team that can't win a Super Bowl. Um, So for me, that's why it's easy to just move on in in a different direction. And I think sometimes you just – 
one of my bosses back in the day said it when you know changing people, and I'm like, why we why do we do this? And he's like, you know what, Gabe? Sometimes you need a fresh coat of paint. And I think in this instance with the Chicago Bears and where they're at, specifically with Justin Fields, a new coat of paint is needed. I'll take the Caleb Olive uh, <laughs> color, please. Or well, I'll take the off-white yeah, Caleb yeah, yeah. accent. <laughs> that's a good way to put it, a fresh coat of paint. It is a good conversation, and it's worth continuing, and that's what they're going to do next Wednesday on the Parkins and Spiegel Show. They're hosting a QB1 town hall from 2 to 6 in front of a live studio audience at the Blue Cross Blue Shield performance stage. Keep listening for your chance to win your way in, and you can do that now. We will take the sixth caller at 312-540-0670, and you can get into this town hall QB1 debate, as they say, as the offseason for the Bears begins. Also, you can register to win online by visiting 670thescore.com slash contest. That's the QB1 town hall, Parkins and Spiegel, next Wednesday from 2 to 6 p.m. You have a thought on the Bears quarterback situation or anything we discussed during the pick six. If you are a big fan of one-day contracts, please, by all means, let us know why. If you thought Connor Bedard should have been on the ice or should have been at home on Wednesday, Thursday night, let us know why. 312-644-6767. Gabe Ramirez in for Mully. It's Mully and Haw, Chicago Sports Radio 670 The Score. I've only watched Caleb Williams three games last year, three this year, so I'm only halfway done, okay? The one thing that I that is clear, he is not special. He is not something unique like a Patrick Mahomes. And I hope the Bears don't think, well, let's 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 try to make up for our mistake when we pass up Patrick Mahomes and go get the Patrick Mahomes. The kid is not Patrick Mahomes. Ain't even remotely close to that. It is unfair to Justin Fields. He has had new coordinator, new coordinator, new coordinator. There's no possible way you can know about your guy when you do that. It's the worst thing that can happen to any player, especially a quarterback. Welcome back. It's Mully and Haw, Chicago Sports Radio, 670 The Score. Gabe in for Mully today. That was Merrill Hodge in Vegas talking about his conclusion about Caleb Williams not being special. Now, I've heard some criticisms of Caleb Williams. I've heard some legitimate concerns about some things maybe off the field in his reticence or whatever the case may be. I think it's unfounded and unfair to base too many conclusions on that, but I've heard those things. I've not heard anyone as strong as Merrill Hodge was saying he wasn't special. (laughs) And with due respect, I, I don't know what he's watching because you watch and you hear First of all, just watch them with your own eyes. Secondly, you hear from people who do this for a living, and that's what special looks like based on their analysis and evaluation. These are professionals. That doesn't mean the Bears have to take them. That doesn't mean they, you know, any team has to trade up to get them. But give him his respect. He's a special player. It's and it's he's saying it emphatically as if it's fact. What I took away from this is. He's not special. Right. I mean, give him a fourth-round grade like the other guy did. Then why not do that? Like, what did you say? The Jets scout gave him a fourth-round yes, grade? fourth-round grade. I mean, then, then do that. It, listen, I understand that everyone, everyone wants to put on their scout cap and give Caleb Williams a grade, whether it's via his personality or play on the actual field itself. But I think it's difficult to try to say he's not, you know, he's not special. I guess it's not difficult to say he's not special. It's a reach. 
It's a reach. It's Thank a you. reach. It definitely is a reach. Score listener line is powered by BetQL. Smarter bets start with BetQL. Download the BetQL app today or visit BetQL.com. Let's start the conversation with Coach V is on the south side. Coach V, welcome to the Mullen Haw Show. How are you this morning? Hey, how you doing? Doing well. Um, I just think that this whole Justin Fields, Taylor Williams debate has come to you guys on the score, other than maybe Lawrence Holmes and Dan Bernstein, all you guys are anti-Justin Fields. It ain't, and you're showing, y'all showing your true colors. Y'all getting enamored with this number one pick because just what Merrill Hodge said, you missed on Mahomes. Now you feel like if you don't take Caleb Williams, you go miss and he go be this generational talent. I beg to differ. Okay. You got everything you got in Justin Fields right now. And I've seen other teams take a quarterback two or three years in who might not have been that good in his first two or three years to impress those who they need to impress, put some pieces around them, and watch how the Bears become a prominent team next year. Go to Taylor Williams, and you ain't doing nothing but resetting the quarterback cycle. You're going to end up, disgruntled players going to end up wanting to leave, and you're going to be left just like you was when Ryan Poles inherited this thing three years ago or two years ago, where you're going to be starting over. So go ahead and take the chance and fall for the banana in the tailpipe. It ain't happening, Captain. Coach V, are you an actual football coach? Coach V is gone. I've sports all my oh, life, there, there and is. I know what I see. Yeah, I think that uh, – listen, I, I, I hear what you're saying. Thanks, Coach V. Yeah, thank you. appreciate that. I hear what you're saying, Coach. I think that – a couple things. One, when you're like, you're showing your true colors, what does that mean? I want you to be more specific with that, Coach V. You can text in. I don't know what I that know means. what that means. I know what it means, but I just – I want him to say it. And I'll talk to you about it off the air. Um, but I, I think that to, to, to say that – and I've made this argument a lot, David, where it's like you have the number one pick, and, and let's, let's take aside Justin Fields and all this stuff like that. The Bears, when you talk about the Bears, you're not, you're not associating great quarterback play with the Bears, okay? So you have – Two number one picks, two years back-to-back, with a quarterback that there are still questions around. You can make the argument for him. We, people can make the argument against him. There's still questions regardless. And you're telling me that a team that has never had great quarterback play, they have number one pick in the draft two years in a row, and you, Coach V, think that it's okay to pass up two years of having the number one pick to attempt, just attempt, to fix the quarterback situation and you are okay with passing on that. To me, that does not add up and make sense. I, I agree with the way you, you put that, Gabe. Here's the one thing that continues to bother me about, if anything bothers me, and that's probably too strong. People want to label anybody that isn't on board with bringing Justin Fields back as being anti-Justin Fields. I think that's understandable. But it, it also, he's saying we fall for the banana in the tailpipe. You're falling for, or, or you're, you're lapsing here into this, this easy, lazy way to look at this. Objectivity is not criticism. When you're evaluating what the Bears should do, when I am evaluating what the Bears should do in my mind, I am saying that Caleb Williams, in my opinion, based on what I know, based on what people tell me, based on what I observe, Caleb Williams is a better option. Keeping Justin Fields is a good option. This is the offseason defined by a choice that is 
The Bears can make a good choice or they can make a better one. No way is that criticizing Justin Fields. Pro sports are tough. You have to make difficult decisions. It's not personal. The implication with every call that labels the score anti-Justin Fields assumes that it's personal. The kid can play. He's a consummate leader. He's a great ambassador for the Bears in the city of Chicago. If you're asking the question, if he's the guy three seasons into his career, you're answering it too. It's not personal, Coach V. All right? Objectivity is not criticism. When the whole family comes together to watch the game, nobody wants to miss a second of the action to run to the grocery store. With Instacart, you can get all your weekly groceries in as fast as an hour. Less time shopping means more game time. Let's go. Visit instacart.com to get free delivery on your first three orders. Offer valid for a limited time. $10 minimum per order. Additional terms apply. How powerful is Cox Internet? Powerful enough to let your band members in Vegas, Phoenix, and Rhode Island jam like you're all in the same garage. Get Cox Internet powered by fiber with America's fastest download speeds. It's Internet built for tomorrow, today. Cox, always building better. Cox Internet is connected to the premises via coaxial connection. Speeds vary and are not guaranteed. Cox terms and other restrictions may apply. Analysis by Ookla speed test intelligence data. Fixed median download speeds. US Q3 2023. Celebrate and save at Ashley's anniversary sale. With Hot Buys, your choice of color starting at just $3.99. Ashley Sleep mattresses starting at $2.50. Plus, receive a free adjustable base with select mattress purchases. And shop top mattress brands like Stearns & Foster, Tempur-Pedic, Purple and Beautyrest Black with 60-month special financing only at Ashley. Subject to credit approval. No minimum purchase required. Minimum monthly payment, down payment, tax, and delivery may be required. See store for details. Brad Biggs, what he thinks. It's Biggs Times Next. Mullen Haw, Chicago Sports Radio, 670 to score. Brad Biggs. Biggs Time. Biggs. With Mullen Haw. Biggs Time. The Biggs Report. With Brad Biggs. Biggs Time. Biggs His name is Brad. Talks football with you. Mully and Haw, Chicago Sports Radio, 670 the score. Gabe in for Mully today. And now we have the football man from the Chicago Tribune joining us on the Circus Sports Illinois Hotline. Download the Circus Sports app today. Brad Biggs. Good morning, Biggs. How's it going? Morning, boys. What's going on? Well, the Bears have been busy. They got right to it. They didn't waste any time. Ryan Poles announced on Thursday the release of Cody Whitehair and Eddie Jackson. Not a huge surprise, Brad. What was your reaction, and how hard will either guy be to replace? Well, you're not looking to replace them. You're looking to you're looking to upgrade uh, with uh, younger younger talent, and it's it's not going to be easy. Uh, and you're certainly not going to get a replacement that's likely to have the same presence um, with his teammates immediately anyway. Eddie Jackson's a guy who had, had been the elder statesman on that defense for a while, a player that uh, young guys turned to, a guy who opened the doors of his home to those young defensive backs pretty much at all times. Uh, so was a mentor to a Jaquan Brisker, a Tyreek Stevenson. I mean, those guys would talk about how appreciative they were 
that they could go over to Eddie's place after work and talk about work, talk about life, uh, talk about a little bit of football. And um, he, he was a real positive influence on those guys. So you can't replace that uh, anytime real soon. Cody Whitehair uh, had been the, what, the longest tenured guy uh, on the team and played an awful lot of football for the Bears and was remarkably uh, durable throughout his career, 118 uh, starts for them, and really selfless. I think when you, when you talk about how many times Cody Whitehair went from one position to another and you didn't hear him complain about it at all, that spoke to uh, what a team guy uh, he was. But, yeah, you look at what they've got to do here in the offseason – uh, free safety, they don't have a replacement for Eddie on the roster. Center, they're going to have to go out and get uh, one, maybe two, uh, if they get a young guy. So they've got some work cut out for him. But the Bears did the right thing by both of these players. You got these uh, older players that have been really good to your organization. You cut them well in advance of the start of free agency and give them a head start on potentially uh, finding a new home. Biggs now outside of, you know, Jalen Johnson polls, you know, has used the draft to secure talent in that secondary. Do you think he'll address that safety position, you know, via the draft or go grab a veteran in free agency? You know, that's a good question. I don't see a whole lot in the way of great, center fielders and free agency. I mean, there's some guys that are some accomplished safeties that are probably going to be um, on the market. It's not a it's That's a hard position to fill. It really is. You talk about that, that safety that can do a little bit of everything. It is difficult to come up with that guy. And it had been a while since the bears had had a player on the back end with the instincts and the ability to be around the ball like Eddie Jackson, you know, I I draw the parallel a little bit anyway, and they're slightly different players, but to, to Mike Brown, right, who mm-hmm. spent uh, nine seasons in a Bears uniform appearing in 100 games. Like, that's, that's pretty – how many games did uh, Eddie appear in uh, for the Bears? 100 uh, games. So uh, – they both uh, had a, an ability to be around the ball. Tough, uh, tough guy to replace, but um, you could see it. I mean, the, the tackling kind of became a little bit of an issue again this past year, um, and they, they uh, you know, they, they need to make a move. Sometimes, uh, as they say, it, it's, it's better to move on from a player a year too soon than a year too later, and I'm not suggesting they're moving on from either of these guys a year too soon, but um, you, you could tell this was likely coming. Let me play devil's advocate for a moment, Brad, or at least ask about this uh, possibility. Why did they not explore, or maybe they did and we're not aware of it, but the big number was not something that they could live with Eddie Jackson at $14 million. Teams renegotiate deals with veterans uh, often if they want to keep them. Why did they not do that with Eddie Jackson to keep a guy that helps your defense stay intact? Yeah, that's a good question. Uh, We don't know. 
if they went down that avenue. That could we don't know if that's not still a possibility several weeks from now. When after both sides have sort of um, you know t- tested the market, seen what's out there, uh, talked to other uh, possibilities, but I-, I think it's probably the play, Dave. You know, you just you look at uh, he he was uh, it was pretty good for him in in 2022. He had the uh, foot injury there in the Meadowlands uh, late in the season. I think it was the twelfth game. And then, yeah, he didn't see him around the ball as much this past year. The tackling issues. Like if you if you make a judgment that hey, we need to get better at this position, um, and I'm talking about a judgment strictly on the film. I don't know that you can allow some of those intangibles to sort of uh, shift your decision. And those are those are really difficult things to do when you talk about giving a player an extreme haircut, like a, a guy that was going to go from $14 million to you know, significantly less than that. Maybe you give him the opportunity to earn some of it in uh, per-game roster bonuses. But that was I, – I wrote about that. I talked to Eddie about that in early January, late December, and I, th- I always thought that that was uh, going to be a bit of a long shot. You know, when I think about – Ryan Poles at the, you know, handling the number one pick bigs. And I I say to myself, okay, well, he had it last year. He has it this year, second year on the job. I'm trying to get into his brain and thinking like how his approach could potentially be different. Maybe what he learned from last year. When you think about Ryan Poles and, you know, being around him and, you know, his demeanor and such, do you think there is some sort of different approach that he's taking this year with the number one pick? Well, I think it's a different approach because it's a different, it's it's a different football team, right? You've got you've got a different roster. You're you're a little bit deeper uh, into it. I don't know that you go about it um, in a in a much different way. I mean, it's obviously clearly different because they've got two top ten picks this year. They've got the number one pick, and they're on the clock again at number nine. That wasn't the case last year, so. There's a lot that makes 2024 uh, different from 2023. You've got a deeper class of quarterbacks. You've seen Justin Fields for another season. Um, you know, I just uh, I think there's a whole lot uh, that's different. I think he took a methodical approach with his staff last year, and they're they're going about that uh, very same process. Uh, right now kind of pointing toward the the next thing being uh, the combine starting a week from uh, Monday and uh, maybe we'll have some more news. Uh, I'm sure we'll have news or at minimum rumors uh, coming out of Indianapolis. All right, Brad, I want to send your first letter to your mailbag for your next entry. So I am David from the studio. And I want you, because this is sort of a fanish question, but I am very curious about your answer. Well, if it's a, okay, go on. What, what, what are we going to say? What, what, what are we going to knock? How are you going to knock make, there? I was going to make some, I was, I was going to make some Blackhawks joke. It probably wasn't going to go over. Really oh, well. you want to talk Blackhawks. We don't want to talk Blackhawks. We'll, we'll get in an argument, Brad. And that won't I mean, be they ready. Push them, but they, they, they tune out when you talk Blackhawks. Right? <laughs> you don't, you come after me. All right. Well, we digress. So if you're the bears, 
You have now $21 million under the cap. You have to replace a free safety, and you'd still need a pass rusher opposite Montez Sweat. How would you evaluate Antoine Winfield Jr. as a replacement possibly in free agency given his price tag versus the resources it might require to go out and pursue Daniil Hunter as a rush end? And where do you stand on what's more important to a defense? The rush end who can get there or the young free safety that can stabilize a secondary? Yeah, I I don't – it starts on the line. Like, who are we kidding? Like, you've got to it, – it starts up front, and um, they've got to get better rushing the passer. Even with a half season of Montez Sweat, their total numbers were near – some of these uh, pass rush metrics, they're, as a defense, as a unit, they're near the bottom of the league. And um, that, that's got to continue to be addressed. You know, Hunter is an interesting guy. I don't know what the price tag's going to be for him, guys. He, he's he's going to be 30. And we've seen some of these guys do very well into their 30s. I mean, Khalil Mack is still playing at a pretty high level. You look at Hunter, um, the production – has been at a high level for the last five seasons. The only year uh, you'd say, well, what happened there? He had six sacks in seven games, and he had an injury. Okay, 16 and a half sacks this past season, 10 and a half the year before. I mean, are the Bears at the point with what they're doing, with what they're building and attempting to accomplish, that you're going to go out and buy a 30-year-old pass rusher? I don't know. That's you're like, well, like, where are you going right. with, with, with that guy? Because it, how old is he going to have to be for you to be at the point as a roster where you're, okay, now we're really rocking and rolling. Like, it, at that point, are you paying him for past production and he's not the same guy? I would, I would slow the roll a little bit on Daniil Hunter, and that's with an awful lot of respect for a guy who's been really good, 87 and a half career sacks. Um, he's, he's dynamite, but um, I, you really got to think twice about paying a 30 year old pass rusher. When you have worked, you've done some heavy lifting to get your cap situation where it is right now to get things in order moving forward I'd uh, I'd think twice about a about a thirty year old pass rusher at this point. Like if the Bears had gotten into the playoffs and won one game, you know, and you were feeling really good about the whole operation, yeah, maybe that's the point where you you make a move like that. They're they're coming off seven and ten. They're last in the division. They've got more work to do. I don't know. That's the point. You you buy the thirty year old edge rusher. Yeah. I get it. I get it. Uh, but they certainly need some help on that line in order to imp- oh, yeah. improve that defense. Yeah, I mean, in a, in a perfect world, guys, in a perfect world, you're matching a talented young rookie opposite Montez Sweat. Now, maybe not a great draft for edge rushers, and you've got other needs, right? Like, you've, you've, you, you need another wide receiver. The quarterback thing, we've talked about it, you know, every morning for months. Uh, we, we just talked about the free safety and center thing. So you got a handful of other positions that are going to be issues. 
but um, the defensive line is going to be a factor here one way or another in free agency or the draft. Brad, a lot of people talk about holes on this team. I mean, we've been talking about it a ton as well. But there are other people that want the Bears to upgrade at certain positions and, 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 or, or add to them like the tight end position, right, or like the, the running back position. The Bears only have six draft picks. Um, is it important for your mind to, to add pieces in those two areas as well? Or do you feel like the holes are the, are the glaring issues uh, that they need to address first? Well, they've got to add some tight ends. They've, they've really got Cole Komet and nobody else uh, under contract right now. So they've got to figure out, I think, what they want to do schematically there. Like, okay, what, what is the piece that we want next to Cole? Who, what does tight end two look like? What, um, what assets do we want this guy to have? What do we want him to be good at? Then they've got to think about uh, tight end three. This past year they went with Mercedes Lewis. So they kind of effectively were in a spot this past year, guys, where they didn't have a tight end for special teams, which can make lead to other decisions. That you, I mean, it's it's a trickle down effect, right? Uh, so they've got to look at that the running back thing. I would assume uh, Deontay Foreman is exiting. There's going to need to be another back. But guys, I look at you know I I ran in my mailbag this week a list of uh, the teams that won the Super Bowl, and it was like how much of the salary cap the their starting running back took up. And you look at the list and you, you some of these guys are blasts from the past. You're like, oh, yeah, I remember when he was the primary back for that team. And, boy, that was a real brief period of time. And if you could get a Christian McCaffrey, I you could justify the cash, the cap, for everything he brings to his off, the offense – I'd be way more interested in what Ryan Pohl's plan is for wide receiver two, even tight end two, than I would be uh, a running back. I you can you can win with guys at that position. Look at the Los Angeles Rams this year. What was he top three or top four in the league? Kyron Williams, Williams. kid out of Notre Dame in year two. He was a fifth round pick or a sixth round pick of the Rams. You can take a guy plug them into your offense, and run the ball effectively. One more question about Eddie Jackson's situation, Brad, because I'm curious how the Bears will address this in the offseason. That's a big spot in a good defense. So is moving Tyreek Stevenson to safety an option that they will even consider? Does that make any sense to you? What other internal options exist? Because teams like to do that, promote from within if they can, save some money, and also maybe reward a guy who hasn't gotten a good look. The second part of that is how all of this could affect Jaquan Brisker, who really valued playing alongside Eddie Jackson, and you saw him maybe playing with a little bit more autonomy and aggressiveness because he always felt like Eddie Jackson would have his back. Yeah, yeah, those are a couple of good questions. I'm, I would be generally opposed to the idea of moving Tyreek Stevenson to free safety. Like if you've got a good cornerback, leave him at cornerback, and I know that that – that's been this like Bears story idea for years. Like take Kyle Fuller and make him a safety. Why shouldn't shouldn't Charles Tillman be a safety? If you've got a corner and he's a good corner, leave him at corner. Um, <clears throat> they don't, they don't have a replacement for Eddie on the roster right now. Like I, I just can't imagine uh, Elijah Hicks. His name probably sits in that spot right now. I can't imagine they're super comfortable with that. They'll need to make. Um, 
a move there. And I, I think Brisker's the kind of guy that I thought midway through year one back in 2022 that he's got some natural leadership traits. So I think uh, if he can continue to play well, if he can stay on the field, he can become that guy that maybe some some of the young players and, and you know, they've got Jalen Johnson obviously is a leader for him, assuming he's back, which I think that'll happen. But Jaquan Brisker's got some real leadership traits. Um, he's not going to be a guy you're going to want in that free safety role. That's not his strength. Uh, you don't want him playing center field for you. But he's got some some qualities and some attributes, and, and I thought he had a, uh, a a pretty good season. I thought he was a little bit better in the second half of this past season. Um, but he's a good guy in that locker room. Great stuff, Brad. Appreciate the time. Have a great weekend, and we'll talk to you next week. Have a great weekend, guys. Take care. Brad Biggs from the Chicago Tribune talking about the ramifications of releasing Cody Whitehair and Eddie Jackson and what the Bears might do and really what they won't do and also confirming my concerns or hesitation about <laughs> Daniil Hunter. <laughs> Hold on. Hold on, time. I saw what you. I, I, I'm, I'm hearing what you there. did there. Yeah, okay. right. But he also said that the line would be more important to address oh, than the safety oh, position. Did he, did he say oh, that? Forgot that part. Yeah. He did say that. Okay. All right, that too. But that's an ongoing debate. The other one's more definitive. I, I'm going for the definitive sure thing there, Gabe. I like it. We'll talk about that next. If you want to talk about what the Bears are missing or could be lacking without Eddie Jackson, let us know. Three one two six forty four. 67-67. There's a White Sox development that I want to ask you about, though, because underneath that Derrick Rose jersey, you do have a White Sox <laughs> I shirt. Do. I do. And you did sport a White Sox jacket into the studio <laughs> yesterday. So there's some White Sox nuggets that I want to discuss with you next. It's Molly and Haw. Gabe in from Molly, Chicago Sports Radio 670 The Score. Old man winter here. If I had it my way, it would stay winter all year long. Short days, wind chill, black ice and a good polar vortex. <laughs> Heaven. Wait, is it getting warm in here? Your cold snap is over, old man winter. Spring has arrived. Spring. Spring is here, which means it's the perfect time to get away in the Hyundai you've always wanted. Visit the Hyundai Getaway Sales Event, where you can get great deals on all of our award-winning Hyundai models. Like the tech-filled Tucson and Kona, as well as the spacious Palisade. Enjoy wherever you go with the peace of mind that comes with America's best warranty and three years or 36,000 miles of complimentary maintenance. But hurry in. These deals won't last. Add more joy to your journey at the Hyundai Getaway Sales Event. Now get 0% APR or up to 1500 bonus cash on the Hyundai Tucson. Now, during the Hyundai Getaway Sales Event. Offers end soon. Call 562-314-4603 for details. After the end of a good fight, you deserve an ice-cold reward. Medela is the mark of a fighter. You've earned this rich golden lager with a crisp, refreshing taste. Because you know, the bigger the fight, the better the reward. You put in the hours, the energy, the tough labor. You are a fighter. Medela is your reward. Medela, the mark of a fighter. Trick responsibly. Beer imported by Crown Import, Chicago, Illinois. Love the flexibility of working in all sorts of places? Well, working on the go seamlessly requires a strong network like T-Mobile. We have America's largest 5G network, so whether you're on a video call at the park or uploading large files at a coffee shop, we have the 5G speed you need. Whatever takes you on the go, T-Mobile's got you covered. 
Find out more at tmobile.com slash network today. Coverage not available in some areas. See 5G device coverage and access details at tmobile.com. Tacovas is a terrific boot brand, and they're bringing a fresh perspective to heritage boot making. So they've carried forward all the time-honored traditions and quality you find in a great pair of cowboy boots. But they've innovated on comfort, style, and service. As someone who tries to pursue a minimalist lifestyle, I highly value quality over quantity. And I'm telling you, you can't find a higher quality boot than Tacovas. Their Western boots for men and women are handmade. Handmade from the most premium leathers with over 200 time-honored individual steps. Also, did I mention that they are Austin-designed, Texas-tested, and handmade down in the boot-making capital of the world, Leon, Mexico. And also, if you've ever wondered if you can pull off cowboy boots, which is something that I was thinking, you should pull on a pair of Tacovas and you'll see. Just do a quick search for Tacovas on social media and you'll see how adorably styled these boots can be. Visit tacovas.com, that's T E C O V A S.com, and point your toes west. As we turn the corner into the new year, a lot of people are looking to get healthier. That includes Hero Bread, who have just launched their new recipe using heart healthy olive oil. Hero Bread serves up 0 to 1 grams of net carbs, 5 to 11 grams of protein, and high fiber in every delicious serving. Made with natural ingredients, Hero Bread supports gut health, promotes weight management, and helps maintain blood sugar. All with no compromise on the taste, texture, and bready goodness you expect from your favorites. Now they're listening to their fans and updating their recipe with olive oil, an antioxidant-rich oil that's been shown to reduce cholesterol and minimize the risk of heart disease. Try it today with code HERO10 for 10% off your purchase at HERO.CO. That's code H-E-R-O-10 for 10% off at HERO.CO. Hey, Rob Bradford here. I have set out on a mission with my good friends at FanDuel to prove what I have known for some time. Baseball isn't boring. So join the revolution. Subscribe and soak in baseball isn't boring. Listen on your Odyssey app or wherever you get your podcasts. You'll be glad you did. I definitely saw a lot of the rumors and then, you know, your friends and your family want to remind you of they read this article and that article and you know all that but at the end of the day i just wanted to focus on what i have to do to perform that's really i really just want to perform so wherever i'm at it's all kind of the same process you know do what you can to be your best and uh i'm happy to be here i'm, I'm grateful to be a major league baseball player i love chicago i enjoy my teammates i enjoy the staff so uh it's really a win-win welcome back it's molly and Haw, chicago sports radio 670 the score gabe is in for molly today that's Dylan Cease on the White Sox Talk podcast, uh, talking to Chuck Garfine about the trade possibilities. Get to him in just a moment. I want to remind people, or at least let them know, if you didn't know this, yes, a week from Sunday, Bet MGM and 670 The Score are honoring Hall of Famer Chris Chelios, his career and the retirement of his jersey number seven. That's next Sunday at the United Center. Our show, Mully and Haw, will be broadcasting live at Kaiser Tiger that day from noon to 3. The show will feature a visit from the man of the hour, Chelly himself, Chris Chelios, and other special guests along the way. Come by, say hello, get going before the game. That's next Sunday, noon to 3, Kaiser Tiger, 1415 West Randolph, right there near the UC. Bet MGM will also celebrate by offering a $7 bonus bet to all customers in Illinois, Bet MGM 
Wow. That's $7 bonus bet to all customers in, in, in Illinois. Bet MGM, the king of sports books. So that's going to be a lot of fun a week from Sunday. Kaiser Tiger, one of my favorite bars in the West Loop, actually. You show up. There's always room I got for Gabe. Kid, I got kids. Man. Okay. I gotta, I gotta, it's noon. They're up. Bacon board. If you're going to go there, get the bacon board. It's fire. Oh, really? It's all right. So I love that. And then I'll, t- I'll tell you one more to get. Uh, it, they have these like bacon bombs, they're called, where it's like a. Uh... You, you had me at bacon. Okay. Just ask for that. You had me at bacon. That's a good spot. It is. It's close. It's going to be a lot of fun. Noon to three, a special edition of Mullenhaw as Chelly sees his sweater to the rafters forever. Good old number seven, Chris Chelios, hockey legend in town. We're lucky to talk to him every Wednesday at 845. All right, so we heard Dylan Cease talking to Chuck Garfine. I know a lot of people have Dylan Cease fatigue. Dustin's off today, so that's why we can talk about this. He has a lot of Dylan Cease fatigue. The trade rumors will follow him every start, assuming he makes one. Why do you say assuming he makes one? Yesterday, things changed. At least that's according to Bruce Levine, 670score.com. Good story. Going to talk about Bruce, uh, about this with Bruce tomorrow on Inside the Clubhouse, 9 to 11, every Saturday morning. The Orioles are going to be missing two starters to start the season. The Orioles have World Series aspirations. They also have maybe the best farm system in the American League. Maybe um, with the Cubs, the two best in baseball. Kyle Brandish has a UCL UCL sprain and will be out for at least the beginning of April. And fellow starter John Means has been slowed in his rehab from left elbow surgery and a month behind other pitchers. That dynamic in the minds of in the mind of Bruce changes things. It makes Dylan Cease the best and possibly cheapest option for a team that doesn't want to get off to a slow start. Because in that division, you can't afford that. And also may view Dylan Cease as a cheaper option than free agents like Blake Snell and Jordan Montgomery, who were still out there. Does that change things in your mind about Dylan Cease and the Cease watch? I love the fact that there's another team involved. I think that, you know, initially it was with the Atlanta Braves, and then you heard a couple of other things. And I think, listen. <laughs> Where the White Sox are at currently, it's very similar to where they were when they were dealing with the Chris Sale situation. They had a top-tier starter. Team wasn't going anywhere. It's time to move on from him and bring back some assets. And it and it's not as though Dylan Cease had a Cy Young year last year. It was two years ago. Last year, he's 7-9. 12 quality starts only. I mean, he had his moments. He very much looked like the Dylan Cease that the White, that White Sox fans were used to. Inconsistent. And so... If teams still feel and in their short-term memory, this Cy Young season still exists, yes, let's get it done sooner than later. I, I will say this. I, even if Dylan Cease came out opening day, pitched five innings through 80 pitches, I don't think that changes the return the White Sox would get for a guy What, like what do you think the return is? Four prospects? <sighs> Depends on when you trade him, really. Yeah. It, because I, if you trade him now – if you trade him to the Orioles, let's say within the next two weeks, because you got to do something sooner rather than yeah. later, I would think that you would want to hold firm to having four prospects. I don't know if they all have to be at a certain level, but you would want four prospects, you're gonna need, I would think. You're going to need a, a potential starter. You're going to need two projects. I'm talking about just from pitching. And then you're going to need a position player that they feel yes. strongly about. That's how that four is going to happen. 
And then hope maybe you might get like their fifth or like, you know, bullpen guy that could be a starter, somebody like that that can still get some starts for the White Sox because you know you're going to need that. He's 28. He's 28 and he's got. No, 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 no. That's a good thing. No, I know. I'm, I'm saying how this is a guy the White Sox are trying to move on from and it probably is going to bring back more just because of the age, there's still a year left. The kind your, of your reaction is, kind of says that you fear, I'm not putting words in your mouth, yeah. but if I were you and I were a Sox fan, I would fear trading Dylan Cease to the Orioles and having that Chris Sale moment where you're watching him celebrate a World Series for someone else. And Dylan Cease could be on the mound <laughs> with when the Orioles clinch game seven, right? And, and I, I think I'm at that In point. In relief because he's not going to go a complete game. He's going to go five and dive. <laughs> That's what I said, yeah. five. But, I, I mean, I wouldn't feel bad at all because I think I'm just used to it as a Sox fan now. This is just what happens. You just White Sox don't win. They get a good pitcher. Kick me in the head. To, I'll turn around. You can kick me in the back. Turn, turn it into something else. I, it, it's just what it is with the White Sox. See, because specifically. You, you've conceded that because of the history of not giving long-term contracts to starting pitchers. I've conceded that, honestly, honestly, the real honest answer is because I think Dylan Cease is really good. I don't think – I think that other teams value him more than he's actually worth. So I'm, I'm willing to make that trade now. Why do you say that? Because of his inconsistency. He's the runner-up to the Cy Young two years in 2022. Ago. Right, two years ago. He was on a terrible team last year that fell off the rails. Him, what did he do three years ago? What did he do four years ago? It's the same thing. Dylan Cease's stuff it's is nasty, filthy, as the kids say. Steve Stone says it's the best stuff in the, on the team. Besides, Well, uh, Kopech every now and then, but we, we don't need to talk about him. Dylan Cease is a legit top-of-the-rotation starter on a good team. Yes. So why wouldn't you want that on any team – because why, why would you want to invest in that? Because I because I, I feel right, like you said, I am scoring. I'm the cynical White Sox fan that it, on the White Sox he'll just be a 500 guy, and he might have an occasional good season. Mm-hmm. Based off what I've seen, so you need Dylan Ceases if you are going to be a contender. I think if the White Sox are not going to pay him, they better trade him. Well, they're not going to be a contender anytime soon, so it's in their best interest to move on from him. I know you're right. I just think that when he leaves, we're going to go through the whole thing again about. The White Sox's history with paying players and why they don't go yeah. to a certain level because Dylan Cease is going to get that contract somewhere. He, he is. Uh, David, I think about other you know guys that left, like you know Carlos Rodon, right? Like a Giolito, guys like that, like where it's like, hey, it's baseball. Mm-hmm. Pitchers aren't great all the time, and so if you can get some assets back in the present for a guy that you know you want him to be a top of the rotation, but he's still a pitcher in Major League Baseball that you know might not you know reach would- that level again. Is it recency bias? Is it a blind spot for me? I'm asking this sincerely. I put Dylan Cease in a different category than I do Carlos Rodon and Lucas Giolito. I think that he has potentially better stuff for longer periods of time than those two guys. I think with, with Giolito, we're fortunate enough to have seen the other side of that hill, so we can. it's unfortunate that we get, we get to weigh that against the He was rolling down a pretty fast game. Very fast. He fell off that hill. After, after he couldn't <laughs> do whatever he had I don't know if he doing. was pushed or he tripped, but <laughs> he was rolling down and down and he keeps going. Good luck to him and the Red Sox. And Carlos Rodon, the same thing. I think, you know, if you were to, you're talking about the potential, I think you could have had I the same Rodin. exact. So, same. I love Rodon. I, I love him. You don't like him in the Yankees pinstripes? I don't think I've seen him enough to, lo- to, right. <laughs> to like know. him in the Yankees pinstripes. You know who does love him? His, his physician. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Hey, Carlos, give me a hug. Good to see you again. <laughs>
Let's go out to the phone lines, 312-644-6767. Tony is in Wonder Lake. Good morning, Tony. How are you? Good morning. How are you guys doing? Doing well. Dave, I don't know if I've ever been on the air with you. Uh, nice to meet you. Likewise. Um, you know, I, I just don't know why you keep seats. And the reason why I say that is because I think that Chris Getz has assembled himself with a staff that's going to just keep this White Sox status quo. Nobody's going to get out of line. Nobody's going to be objective. Nobody's going to throw stones in the glass house they sit in. And this is the way Jerry does business. The team's not going anywhere for a very long time, Gabe, as you mentioned earlier. They're very dysfunctional. They're a borderline minor league organization. Why would Dylan Cease want to stay here? That would be my question to him. What have the White Sox done to prove to him that they're going to try to put a quality product around him? Because let's face it, their lack of offense and no resemblance of defense over the last five years has probably cost him at least 10 wins, I'd say. That's, and probably another five or six no decisions over the guy's career. That's interesting, In a Tony. Young career, yeah, that's a that's, good. That's a good point. That's a good point. He may want out. I mean, he can't say that. Up. Oh, he says it with his body language every single day. You've seen it the, the minute they made all those moves last year. He didn't want to be there. And, and I understand that that is his personality. Very stoic. Very you know blase. But it's still clear as day. He's a poet. He writes poetry. He's not blasé. He's a sensitive young man. I'm out on he Dylan Cease. Well, I can't believe you. Why? Dylan Cease is the most likable White Sox pitcher. Yes. Okay. Okay. Well, that, I mean, there's a a like small... three guys that you can name. <laughs> yeah, I mean, okay. I, I think for me, I you know what it is. I'm, I'm I I'm I am yearning for a superstar to want to want to be here. And I look at guys like Dylan Caesar, look at guys like Zach Levine and, you know, these top tier guys that are smug in certain moments. And I'm like, I just want you to take, I want Dylan Cease to come out, not just Dylan Cease, right? Fill in the blank with whatever superstar you could think of that would have been on this roster and be like, even Andrew Vaughn, like, this is my team. Come here to Chicago. We're going to do something here. No, but that's not if the case. If Andrew Vaughn said that, he'd be laughed out of town. So what? I want I, somebody to do it. I want Luis Robert to say that. In Spanish. Well, but he can't. That's the guy who should be saying, "Come play with me. Come work with me. I want to." I want win it from here. him too, David. Yeah. I want it from him too. But that's what I'm saying. Guys like Dylan Cease, guys like Zach Levine, where I can't believe you're bailing on Cease though, just because he's a little bit uh, hard to read. He's a, he's just a, a a thinker. He's not expressive enough for a- you. After the trades, if he would have came out and been lights out, then maybe I would have been more behind him. But I feel like he was playing with his emotions. This is just me, my personal opinion. He's into his feelings. Just, just a too little bit. Too deep into his A little too Drake you don't for me. Like, really, you don't like that he writes poetry, do you? I do. I write poetry. <laughs> Who doesn't? You write poetry too, Dave? Oh, of course. David? Oh, man. Yeah, I've, 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 I've had my day. 630-DH is a Cub fan that wants Cease gone to erase the bad trade the Cubs made. <laughs> oh, yeah. You got me. You got me. Eloy's still there, though. <laughs> for, for now. That's the, that's the guy I think you would be out on. I'm enough with this high mom stuff. See ya. And I'm the, I'm the Eloy guy. Kevin from Palatine will call and remind us what I said about Eloy a year ago. I, I love everything about him, but I think they need to trade him. When we talk <sighs> about tradable assets, Eloy Jimenez is the name that should have come up first. He's the most tradable asset, and they should do what they can to get rid of him now. Yeah, I think he's a guy where, like a Jorge Soler kind of type, where people will take him, sure, but no one's like, 
chomping at the bits to get Eloy Jimenez. That's a good, that's a good comp. I like that comp with, with Solaire. Interesting. We'll talk Cubs next when we come back or continue the Sox conversation if we want to have Gabe go in circles. 312-644-6767. It's Molly Haw, Chicago Sports Radio, 670 The Score. Would anybody have the, I don't know, nerve or thought to go in and talk to Jed about, hey, uh, you think we're getting belly back or not in you know, a light moment? Uh... I don't think I I am, so I, I, I'm sure there is somebody. Um, but speaking for myself, I don't think I'm in that spot yet. Welcome back. It's Mullen Haw, Chicago Sports Radio, 670. The score gave in for Mully today. Yep. That was Bruce trying to stir it up yesterday, Cubs camp, with Justin Steele. You're going to go in and demand Cody Bellinger be signed? Yeah, it's not his role. Justin Steele's role on the Cubs is ace. Ace. I say that twice for emphasis because Gabe gave me pause on Thursday by wondering if Justin Steele was capable of being the ace again. <laughs> oh, I didn't. What are you talking didn't about? You, didn't you? No. That's Brandon. I'm sorry. That was Brandon. <laughs> was like, All right, not Gabe. Second. Brandon. I, I, I went home. Let's just I say it's Justin Gabe, Steele. Too. Yeah, yeah, hold on. I, I don't need these text messages, I went, David. I went, home, I went home wondering about that, thinking as I listened to Justin Steele, could Brandon be right? Is Justin Steele going to be able to repeat the success he had in 2023? How confident are the Cubs in that? And how much will that determine what they become this year? Should we be worried about their starting pitching more than we're worried about their starting pitching? The answer to that is yes. Justin Steele at the top of the order, or top of the rotation, no problem with that. Okay. I think he's proven over the last couple of years that he is that guy. I think everyone was calm last year every time he, you know, got on the mound. So that holds true. I think it's the rest of the rotation that, you know, the, the Cubs have the luxury of having a lot of arms, whether it's, you know, starters, they have young guys, guys in the bullpen that can take some starts. They have a lot of arms there. But are they, are they the ones that stand out where you're slotting them into, you know, one through five? I think that's what, like earlier in the show, we were talking about the fact that Kyle Hendricks might be slotted in as the number two. But where does Soto go? Well, you're looking at Jamison Tyone. Is he going to bounce back? I mean, there are question marks with this rotation, specifically with Soto and Jamison Tyone and what he's going to do this year. Steele should be the one constant, the one that you are not questioning. How much will they miss Marcus Stroman? A ton. Innings eater, a guy that fit really? this, a guy that fit this team. He didn't pitch really after June... After London, what did he contribute? Nothing. Okay. Okay. Nothing. They forced him back. But he was a key he component. Let them down. He was a key component in why the Cubs were in the position they were in in June. I love the Stroh show. He was a great two months, but it didn't last long enough. It kind of uh, it closed the curtain on the Stroh show too soon because of injuries. He didn't contribute in the second half at all, Gabe. I wonder how much they're going to miss him. I, I, I know he put a them in a ton. position. David, a ton. But they have now Shota Imanaga. A question mark. I mean, the, the, the fact that this is something that was bothering me last year as well. When everyone was just so okay with moving on, not, not or excuse me, not resigning Cody or Stroman. Stroman, I get it. You can make the argument, like you mentioned, second half of the season, whatever. But you're always looking at pitchers and what they've done in a year. And if you look at Stroman last year, you would say he had a good year. 
I think he did. Right. So, uh, so trying to replace but that. But I think he ended poorly. It ended – I don't know that I would say good year. Good start. It was a good year for Marcus Stroman. Did he not make the All-Star team? <sighs> yeah, but Gabe – Okay. That, 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 you're, the you're, biggest ability is availability. Okay, but I, and I said year. You're looking at back half of the year. You're looking at how he didn't contribute to a playoff run. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I'm, looking at, I'm, I'm looking at how he was forced back uh, to pitch when he wasn't ready to pitch, and I think we all got a little f- too excited about the Stroh show coming got, back. and got crushed. Yeah, he got crushed. I think it was a mistake that the Cubs didn't trade him at the deadline. In retrospect, that's easier to say. <laughs> I, 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 I think I'm more likely – I think the Marcus Stroman – Last year, his his season was a microcosm of what the Cubs season was. It was great expectations created by a promising start, and then, boy, did it fizzle. And you end up having a bad taste in your mouth and a bad memory. So I wasn't that disappointed if Marcus Stroman moved on. And I got to say, my guess is the Cubs weren't that sorry to see him go either. At all. Like a lot of drama. With the Stro Show. A lot of drama. I think there was lack of appreciation for Marcus Stroman. I think when you look at the, his, the beginning of the year, and I get it. I, I agree we have to, up until the blister. And then whatever happened after that. I mean, the injuries were really frustrating. You wanted him to return, and he was just nowhere to be. I mean, it's, it, I get it. And then the very mysterious injury in Toronto. Wasn't that in Toronto? Yeah. And, and I hear that. And I think if I'm Marcus Stroman and I'm looking at the way the Cubs are handling me, I'm equally as frustrated as the fan base because I'm like, damn, I gave you guys this great two seasons, season and a half, or good season and a half. I came in when nobody wanted to to try to solidify this rotation, and you don't care about what I've done for this team <laughs> to the point where you're like, yeah, walk, whatever. That's, I, would, I would feel the same way, too. Now he's a Yankee. He's scheduled to make the – his debut in the Yankees home opener facing the Blue Jays. Isn't that something? Wouldn't that be that's gonna be a big moment in New York? Were you shocked that he got less money than Lucas Giolito? Yes. Very much so. Very much so. How'd that happen? <laughs> I don't know. I mean how, how did that happen? I feel no better about the Cubs pitching situation. You were supposed to talk me into feeling better about the Cubs pitching Sorry situation, and I don't, because I'm a little bit skittish about the Cubs right now. No Bellinger. Brandon made me doubt Justin Steele's status as an ace yesterday. I don't know if, what, if right is wrong, left is right. Everything seems a little bit turned upside down right now in Cub camp. If, if the Cubs lose their, home, or their season opener with Justin Steele on the mound, Soda Monaga gets a rude awakening in his first start, let's say he does go too. Jameson Tyone is Jameson Tyone and Kyle Hendricks. You know, it's, it's a rough first week for the Cubs. If oh, my gosh. <laughs> All right, we got a lot of show left. We have a lot of things to do. Right now we're going to give away – couple tickets. An opportunity exists for you football fans out there that want to get engaged with this QB1 debate, which is all the rage in Chicago. The Parkinson Spiegel Show will host a QB1 town hall next Wednesday, 2 to 6, live studio audience at the Blue Cross Blue Shield performance stage. Keep listening because you have many chances to win. Like right now, you can call the scores contest line 312-540-0670. 0670, and you can have your voice heard in person or just come and insult Shane uh, in the QB1 debate as the offseason begins in earnest 
Register also online, 670thescore.com slash contest. That's the QB1 Town Hall with Parkins and Spiegel. Next Wednesday, you got to be able to go next Wednesday between 2 and 6. we got a lot of show left. we got Casey Johnson when we come back. Charlie Rumeliotis joining us at 845 talking about Connor Bedard's return last night. It's Grody time at 9 o'clock. And at 925, Gabe, the Iowa Athletic Director, Beth Getz, who I know from her days of being the Ball State Athletic Director, she was in the building. She is in charge of Iowa athletics. So when Caitlin Clark made history on Thursday night, Beth Getz can tell us what that felt like to be part of a national story. We'll get to all of it when we come back. Gabe in for Molly, Molly and Haw, Chicago Sports Radio, 6-7 to score. KC Johnson. Kobe White, pull up three over Karis LeVert and nails it. Bulls insider for NBC Sports Chicago. Give me that sauce. Covering everything from the dynasty to Derek to DeMar. KC Johnson. I've covered the NBA for a long time. With Mullion Haw. Moss. On 670 The Score. Welcome back. It's Mullion Haw, Chicago Sports Radio, 670 The Score. Gabe in for Mully today. And yes, it is time to bring in our next guest, Casey Johnson from NBC Sports Chicago. And he joins us on the Circa Resort and Casino Hotline, CircaLasVegas.com. Good morning, Casey. How are you? What's going on, guys? Doing well. You got a week off, so that's nice. I don't know if you're going to Indy for the All-Star festivities. My guess would be no. You need a, a little bit of a break. You've been traveling. You've been doing a great job. I love your post-game interviews <laughs> and your concentration and your professionalism. Let's, let's start there because we do know how challenging that can be, and you kind of have had your share of challenges interviewing Kobe White the other day, or uh, Io the other day when Kobe White made it difficult. And it seems like players now, it's a thing. They're trying to rattle you or have some fun with you. How difficult is that? It's not difficult at all because uh, it's uh, back and forth. And uh, for those that don't know, uh, because I saw some people clapping at me to let them celebrate, it's a bit between me and Kobe. He's doing it on purpose, and he enjoys when I give it back to him. So. it's it is what it is. Uh, those aren't you know uh, Pulitzer Prize winning journalism uh, moments anyway. So it's just uh, it's just some fun and that was that was that was a big win in Atlanta. So uh, they should be celebrating like that. Um, and uh, it's it's been uh, it's been it's been an enjoyable experience overall. I will say that. Well, as a longtime TV guy, you're just used to it. Right? Sure. <laughs> <laughs> Exactly. That's what I am. <laughs> KC, let's let's stick let's stick with Kobe for a second. I mean, obviously everyone can speak to, you know, his resurgence. We were talking about it earlier, you know, career highs in so many different categories. But talk about Kobe White the person. I think the one thing that I love and I've been, you know, kind of alluding to this all show with other guys on other teams is that, you know, that sense of ownership that we want as a fan base from these players. And it seems like Kobe has accepted that, you know, tenfold with this team. Yeah, I mean, that's kind of always been his defining trait. Uh, I spotted it early on, and Billy spotted it when, as soon as he got here. So even though his role fluctuated, you always knew he was going to look inward to do whatever he needed to do to try to figure it out. Now, I think anybody around the team, including Billy, including myself, including you know many others, couldn't wouldn't have predicted this jump from Kobe. Um, but all the credit goes to him because he has the right intentions. Um, you know, he, um, like I said, puts the work in, he cares. He doesn't like the attention being on himself. He likes to be on his teammates. Um, and 
you know, you just have to uh, applaud a guy like that who has turned himself into, you know, a legitimate two-way player. I mean, he's still got some improvement to do on the defensive end, but he's not getting targeted on that end like he used to be earlier in his career. And then offensively, he's, you know, his game's not predicated on shooting anymore. He's become a, a multi-level scorer. And even when on games where he's not shooting the ball well, he's still making an impact on winning plays. And that, again, is all credit to him. And I always point to this, like, you know, this front office draws a lot of heat and in some cases, rightfully so. But when you've got a guy like him, you've got a guy like Aldisumu, you've got a guy like Alex Caruso on the contracts they're on, that's that's good cap management and that allows you to, you know, wherever this next roster iteration goes this offseason, that allows some flexibility there because you've got three pretty critical rotation pieces on, on pretty good value deals. So we were both there as Jimmy Butler was drafted, forgotten, buried on the bench, and then willed himself into being the kind of player that he is now. Now he had to be traded several times and, and learn from those lessons. But I think by the time you know the Bulls traded him to Minnesota on draft night uh, in that deal, he had become an all-star level player. He had made himself into one. Is, is that a fair comp to Co- what Co- what's going on with Kobe White, a guy that was – maybe not buried on the bench, but seventh overall pick, high expectations, hasn't really come into his own until this year. And now you wonder, because of what Jimmy accomplished after really improving while he was playing, kind of going in that direction, if Kobe is capable of getting as high as that level. I wonder what the ceiling is, and is that a fair comparison? Um. You know, well, first of all, I hope the Bulls don't trade him if you're a Bulls fan. Yeah, they've lived that movie before. Um, so, um, you know, slightly different player. Obviously, Bill, uh, Jimmy was much more physical. Um, but in terms of the work ethic and kind of looking inward and, and making it on your own, they're similar in that regard. Um, I'd like to see Kobe do it for longer and more consistently and also – still get to a higher level defensively. I mean, Jimmy, even at the start, was pretty elite defensively. I mean, obviously he had that signature breakout moment when he was barely playing and Tom uh, put him out in uh, New York at the Madison Square Garden against Carmelo Anthony, and he had that really strong rotational turn, and that was kind of his you know, welcome to the NBA moment. So from the start, Jimmy was at a higher level defensively. But I, you know, I don't know what Kobe White's ceiling is. Just like I don't know what Io DeSumo's ceiling is because every time you count that guy out, he kind of surprises you <laughs> and goes to another level. So I, I don't think I don't think either of them have multi-time all-star written all over them. But prove me wrong. Um, we'll see. I mean, Kobe, I think has m- maybe a little bit more possibility there than than Io. But look, they're both really good players, and to me, they're the best two storylines of this of this pretty underwhelming bowl season. The cool thing about Io, Casey, is just like you mentioned, right? Elevating his game. I mean, getting to the the way he gets to the cup is similar to like a. I'm not trying to say it's these guys, but similar to like a Giannis or LeBron, where you're just going downhill. You don't care. You're gonna go up to the rim. It doesn't matter if it's two, three guys there. And the most impressive thing about Io at near the rim is his ability to finish. There's been a couple of games where it's been one-on-two, one-on-three fast breaks where he just knows my speed, my athleticism is going to allow me to get to the cup. But it's his ability to finish that has really been impressive over these last couple of weeks. Yeah, well, the, the finishing absolutely stands out. That, to me, though, has been pretty consistent 
um, from year one. Uh, what I've seen is just a drastic improvement in his outside shooting. Um, he obviously had a down year from beyond the arc last year, and you know, for him to get in the gym and, and put that time in, and he he was really detail specific about his improvement at, uh, in that department with us post game Atlanta when he made five threes uh, to set his career high, you know, talking about getting shot ready and how Billy Donovan pointed out after a film session, after the Knicks loss in New York, how, Hey, you should be a 40% three point shooter, but you're not always shot ready, you know, and, and just the way he's square hands up, ready to shoot in those corners. And the fact that he's shooting 41.1% from three on career high volume. Again, that that's a testament to him and, and the work ethic and, the work at work he's put in with, with Peter Patton and, and, you know, Billy point pointing that out in the, in the film session. And then defensively, you know, you're going to always get the kind of the same effort from him just with his length and his physicality. I mean, that, that job he and Javon Carter did on Trey young in Atlanta, that, that, you know, Atlanta's not a great team, obviously, but they have a lot of firepower and, and at home and coming off that tough loss to Orlando, that, that win really sticks out for me. Um, that, that was a pretty impressive win. Obviously, if you're a Bulls fan, you would have liked to see them close it out in Cleveland to go three and one on that trip. Um, but um, you know, Io and Kobe both played very well, uh, pretty much throughout that that whole trip. So, Casey, you have a story on NBCSportsChicago.com about the news that LeBron James was in support of the idea of trading for Zach Levine, and that would been that would have been something that LeBron welcomed and. Zach is the third option and with the Lakers is intriguing to consider as well. So this idea that there might not have been a market, maybe there just wasn't a deal to be made, but maybe there was a market in LA. What did you make of the report and what do you think of the story? Well, I mean, from this jump, when, when, uh, when Zach's situation unfolded in early November, that was always the team targeted because of the connection with clutch sports and, um, um, you know, a lot of clients of clutch sports ending up in LA and then Zach, you know, playing at UCLA and um, having a home there. I mean, that, that was always the team targeted. There just was never a match. I mean, unless that, that conversation would never even got started unless Austin Reeves was put in the conversation and they, you know, Austin Reeves was never put in the conversation. So the Bulls had no interest in training for D'Angelo Russell and and Rui Hachimura um, and whatever would have needed else to be a sweetener in that deal um, at the time. I mean, and then what happened was D'Angelo Russell started playing at a level where the Lakers were like, you know, we don't really need to improve off this. So it's, 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 it's a, it's certainly a nugget because it's LeBron James and he's open to, so when you put LeBron James, but to me, the most telling aspect of that story, and we should credit the reporters, Sam Amick from the athletic longtime NBA guy, great reporter. Um, the to me the most telling nugget of the story is okay so he said Le- LeBron was open to adding Levine uh, before the trade deadline but then he said the Lakers are going to be targeting targeting three players this summer none of them named Zach Levine <laughs> it was Dejounte Murray Donovan Mitchell and Trey Young so um, the Lakers are always on the hunt for star power but the fact that Zach Levine didn't make the offseason list to me is the more telling anecdote from the story. Yeah, I think we all were anticipating and wanting something because just to see something different. I personally wanted D'Angelo Russell, back, or D'Angelo Russell, someone that can run the point. What? Why, and why and take like, the ball out of Kobe White's hands every time down yeah. the floor. 
No way, yeah. Gabe. Okay. No we, we, we can way. argue again. We can argue about this as much as you'd like, David. Uh, sorry, off the air. sorry, off the air. Casey. I gotta ask Casey another question. Um, Casey, when you look at the Bulls and where they're at, right? I mean, it has been frustrating to watch just because you know they're not necessarily at the top of the Eastern Conference, not necessarily at the bottom, and but but I I, I myself often struggle to try to quantify like how far the Bulls are. Like that deviation, what does it look like from where they are to where they need to be? Like, is it just the star players? Is it just the shooters? A true, a true power forward? All of the above? Like, can you do a better job of quantifying how far away or what that looks like? Well, to me, the, the biggest issue is just you've seen what the ceiling of this core is. So until we find out what happens with DeMar and have some clarity on that, you know, all signs point to him resigning, though. So if he re- he's resigning, what what's what's What's, where's your improvement? Because we've seen this core. It, we, we've seen it, it's it's been long enough. The, the the body of work is the body of work. The net rating is the net rating. And look, all three of those guys individually are good players, but the collectively it just hasn't worked. And we've seen it now for how long, right? So, you know, maybe Lonzo surprises us all and and, and comes back at a high level next season. I mean, there's just too many unknowns. But without that scenario developing, if Demar is resigned. If you're not able to move off Zach, you're still you still have that same core. So you can talk about all the time of Kobe developing and Io developing. Those are great stories. But if your high, three highest paid players don't impact winning on a collective uh, level, that's an issue. So that to me is where it starts and ends. And obviously, we don't know for sure all three of those guys are going to be back. Um, but um, until we see otherwise, that that's what I'm working under. And it's just been puzzling because, like I said, last, especially if you look at last season, all three of those guys had extremely good seasons, and they had the 23rd-ranked offense. So it's just there's something missing. Obviously, Lonzo Ball is a big part of that, but, you know, that ship has sailed a long time ago. Um, so, uh, you know, again, maybe he'll surprise us and come back. Everybody's rooting for him. Um, but uh, we'll have to see what changes they have in mind this offseason. You know, if you look at it just from a financial standpoint, if DeMar is resigned and Patrick is resigned, that projects to be a tax situation unless Lonzo is deemed a career-ending injury and or you're able to trade Zach. So, um, you know, obviously these are scenarios the front office has to plan for, and I do think it'll be an interesting offseason. But until one of those three guys is elsewhere, uh, that's that's why I think you're kind of far away because that core – has shown you that it, it it doesn't have a high enough ceiling to be competing for a championship. So for the rest of this season, the keep searching for shooting and back to the buyout market it is. You report last night that the Bulls talked to Gallinari's reps in the buyout market and he chose the Bucks. And so the second time the Bulls wanted to have a shooter, <laughs> Gallinari specifically picked another team. And so I wonder where they go now, KC, and how aggressive they will be with whatever's left in the buyout market. Yeah, I heard one name that kind of intrigued me from the start uh, was Evan Fortier because um, I think he's been kind of buried. He, I don't think he was buried on yeah. the bench in, in New York, and he actually played at a really high level um, in the World Cup last summer. Um, and he's very close to Vooch um, and a very good shooter. Uh, another guard, so that wouldn't be the best scenario. That's where Gallinari was nice because he added both size and shooting. They're very thin up front. Um, I think Gallinari's best days obviously are behind him, so I don't know how much he has left in the tank. Um, and then it's back to Fournier real quick, and I know I'm all over the place, but um, I've heard now that he, he may stay in Detroit, so we're going to have to see how that plays out. 
they'll go. I would think at some point they'll add some form of shooting again. Gallinari was a nice fit. He's got connections to AK from Denver. He played for Billy Donovan in Oklahoma city. Um, you know, they've, they've targeted him twice. He signed with Boston in 2022, uh, before tearing his ACL. Um, I, I'd be surprised if they don't add some body that can shoot. And, you know, just when I say some body, it's because they're re- they've been really understaffed. I mean, Zach's out for the season. Patrick's been laid up and, you know, probably is going to be sitting out a little bit after the all-star break. Um, and, you know, the minutes are piling up for Kobe and for DeMar and for even for Alex. So um, I, I, I think at some point you're going to see somebody sign. Who that is, I, I don't know yet. Yeah, Evan Fournier, I think I thought it was interesting. I loved when he said, like, hey man, I could average 30 points. Just put me just give me some minutes. I'm being held back. Sound like Stacey King's talking Stacey King talking about Phil Jackson there. <laughs> uh, but 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 uh Casey, I mean, this Bulls team, I mean, what should we really be looking for towards the end of the season? Right? As this thing winds down, I mean, I know we're talking about adding people, but you know, as a casual fan that's watching these games, I mean, I know it's the, it's the Kobe White, right? But like outside of that, like what what should we be looking for? Is it a team that that is banking on continuity like should we be looking for more of that for more gelling like what what should we be watching for well if you can uh if you can shake off your playing fever symptoms <laughs> because we're all gonna have playing fever down the stretch uh i don't know man you know i think this team to win 43 wins they're obviously gonna fall short of that i think everybody kind of knew this team was gonna be kind of in the middle so you know, the play-in adds some intrigue, but yeah, I, I don't see Brooklyn or Toronto. Those, those teams, to me, look pretty cooked. So I don't see them falling out of the play-in race. They're ninth now. So yeah, I don't see them getting to six. So uh, quite frankly, you know, Kobe Iowa. And I, I, I'll, give you, I'll give you one thing, something new. I, I, I wrote this today. I, th- I think sometimes DeMar DeRozan is so great, he's taken for granted. And I, you can parse mid-range and isolation and can't win a championship with him all day long. Screw all that, man. That dude is fun as hell to watch play basketball. He is so good. He's so smart. Um, He's so uh, uh, respectful of a teammate. He's totally into Kobe's rise. He was happy Kobe got the last call the other night. So there you go. Watch DeMar DeRozan down the stretch and appreciate that guy's brilliance because he's really, really good at basketball. There, Casey, there's something for you. Casey, only 30 seconds left, but this ticked me off. I, I think you're, you're probably used to it. The last two-minute report reported that Caruso foul and Donovan Mitchell wasn't really a foul. That free throw mattered. That free throw made a big difference in that game down the stretch. It should not have been called, and that's what Caruso was arguing and every Bulls fan was seeing. I, is that just kind of like something you shrug and you move on by now? Is, or what, what happens there? Here's what I'll say, because he said we only have a little bit of time. Orlando had five calls go against it on their last two-minute report. <laughs> okay. They won the Man. game. End of story, okay? Uh, okay? Get over it, people. The Bulls are not always screwed. Orlando had five <laughs> calls go against them and won the game in overtime. Goodbye. Thank you. All right, you put me in my place. I deserve that. So did everyone else complaining about that, Casey. Have a great weekend. All right, thanks for having me on, guys. Take it easy. Casey Johnson from NBCSportsChicago.com. You know what I'm talking about, though? I do. I, Donovan Mitchell so shoots 24 free throws every time he plays the Bulls. So that, that just, you know, okay. it's magnified. I just thought it, it's not just me. Every team feels that they get kind of the wrong end of it in the final two minutes, especially when those reports come out. Transparency. It's in the name of transparency. Need. It's in the name of driving your fans crazy because the refs are wrong a lot. All right. Glad I got that out. Casey's great stuff as usual. When we come back, 
Did you see what happened at the United Center last night? Did you see who was back on the ice? Bedard mania. Yeah. Was that a good decision? Was it smart? Was the reward worth the risk? We'll talk about it next. Gabe is in for Mully. Mully and Haw, Chicago Sports Radio, 670 The Score. Bedard and Kurashev. Bedard fires. Blocked into the paint or just off it. It's taken by Graves. Good keep in there. By Korchinski. Bedard, open ice. The pass to Kurashev. He scores. Hawks are in business on Kurashev's ninth of the season. Welcome back. It's Molly and Haw, Chicago Sports Radio, 670. The score gave in for Molly today. That was NBC Sports Chicago's call of the Connor Bedard assist. First game back in 41 days, 14 games, and it seemed like longer. Seemed like longer, not only for hockey fans in Chicago, and I know that's a small segment of our audience. I get that. We're not going to break down the power play here, people. Don't worry. We'll get off this quickly. (laughs) Even though we're going to talk to Charlie Rumeliotis, who was there last night in the next segment. This is bigger than just the... The, the the niche sport that some people consider hockey to be, even in a sports town like Chicago. This is the closest thing that we have in the city to a superstar. This is Connor Bedard coming back, the number one overall pick, the the athlete in town that has the best chance of being that in his career. Are you shaking your head reluctantly because you don't agree with me or because you're not sure of yourself? Because that's true, Gabe. He is the closest thing to a superstar Chicago sports has right now. Agree or disagree? Ask that question to the Justin Fields supporters. But I will say this. Oh, my gosh. I'm just saying because they think that he is, like, number one right now. Um, I, I, I will say this. Connor Bernard, of course, we understand. The casual fan understands the hoopla surrounding a Connor Bernard. We understand that he is the next coming of blah, blah, blah. I think the biggest issue, right, is that, you know, being out for 14 games, not having an opportunity to build momentum, it kind of stops that train a little bit. And I think your biggest gripe yesterday was bringing him back too soon. Is that right? Well, I don't know if it's a gripe. I, I think it's a question worth asking. And I, and I think it's, it's important to, to keep this in the proper context. This is not just a rookie trying to fit into the league. This is not just a guy trying to make an impression so he can last on a roster. This is the way I described it you know, to you. This is the Chicago's best hope at a superstar. This is a guy that when you look at his future, you want to be as careful and even more careful than your typical professional athlete because of what he means to the franchise, the city. This is your best chance at having another championship in the city. This is the you want we were having the 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 parade debate on Thursday because of the tragedy in Kansas City. You want to have a parade debate. Well, the next team that's going to win a championship, who's that going to be? The Blackhawks are in the conversation eventually because of Connor Bedard. Only reason. Only reason. That's how important he is. So in that context, when you have an 18-year-old kid who is so antsy that he can't stay off the ice and he wants to play 41 games after breaking his jaw. If I'm his dad, no way. No way. Now I say that. I was going to say, holding the lip, okay. 
Broken jaw? Yeah, I say, no yeah, I say that after having acknowledged in the 530 uh, segment that I let my son play his senior night with a hole in his lip and he bandaged up because it's hockey, baby. I know. I get it. I'm a hypocrite. We all are as parents. But I look at it from the Bedard perspective that the, what the Hawks did last night filled me with a lot of excitement and joy. And then you take a step back, you wake up the next morning, and you're like, I'm like, what did they do? Why did they do it? Connor Bedard played against Sidney Crosby because that's his idol? That's why you let him back? You risked everything. Risked everything is a harsh, harsh statement. Is it? He had a broken jaw 41 days ago. I'm sure he's okay. Are you? Yeah, he's a broken jaw. I, I don't think I don't think you're risking everything by letting okay. him play 41 days after the jaw jaw injury. I, I will say this. Here's where I agree with you. Black Sox, Blackhawks had lost seven straight at that point. Yeah, they're in last place. They have the second worst goal differential in the league. They're one eight and one in their last ten games. I mean, the only reason you bring them back is to play against Crosby, right? I mean, that's like the only thing. But when is a good time? Are you supposed to bring them back against like? The San Jose Sharks? Are you supposed to bring him back against a bad team so he can get his feet wet and get him underneath? No. As you mentioned and spent the first four minutes talking about, he is a, a superstar. Was it four minutes? I'm just being exaggerating. You are exaggerating. I'm sorry if I put you to sleep talking about the greatness of Bedard. You're not the only one. I'm trying to use it as my argument as to why, they, why they brought him back. Because the Blackhawks, too, want to spend four minutes talking about and have us talking about their star player. Because it had been 41 days. Because it had been too long, as I mentioned, from the beginning of the season where there was so much fanfare to the present. So what do you need to do to get David Haw and Gabe Ramirez on 670 to score to talk about the Blackhawks for the first time in a very long time? You play him against Sidney Crosby. And you cannot let that be a factor. You cannot let who you're playing be the deciding factor or if any factor at all. I don't care if they're playing Sidney Crosby. I don't care if the game was on TNT. I don't care if Eddie Olchek was in the booth calling it for old time's sake. I don't care. I don't care. I don't care. This is what I care about. Keeping my franchise player healthy for as long as possible so he can actually play in games that matter, so he can be healthy to fulfill his potential. I understand all the dynamics, and it sounds like I'm criticizing after the fact because I was, I was like excited <laughs> yesterday. I told you, I had four exclamation points to my text to my son. I don't use exclamation points. Sent me too. I sent you too. You get, well, I, I get excited when I talk to you, That's Gabe. what I'm saying. No, that's what I, I'm saying. So you but, were excited yesterday. But, but I'm just like, I, I woke up thinking, what did they do? Was that smart? And I get, okay, 708. As a dentist, you are right, Dave. 309 comes back at me. He was healthy, DH. They wouldn't put him out there if he wasn't 100%. So you give different opinions. There's no one right answer. I'm I'm glad that he I'm glad that he avoided injury, and I think every game that he's back on the ice, he'll get better at un- understanding how to do that and avoid those collisions. But I just think it felt like it was a little fast, and it felt like it was a little rushed, and it felt like it was done for the wrong reasons. And maybe that's what bothers me a little bit. It was because it was Sidney Crosby that was opposing Connor Bedard, and we know their history and past. And so when you have Crosby versus but, Dart, it's a great photo. It's a great keepsake. And Sid the Kid scored 15 seconds into the game. You can go now. <laughs> you can never come back. We got the keepsake you did it. You souvenir. Did it. 
But now it's like did, if that was if if they were letting marketing reasons or sentimental reasons or emotional reasons, if they're thinking with their heart and not their heads, shame on them. Because I don't think you run a sports organization that way. I mean, we we are not privy to all the information, so we don't know if maybe he was one hundred percent ready to go. We are speaking as if, and I was too. It was everyone was in cahoots to get him on the on the ice, but. Mr. Dentist that just chimed in, how long does it take to heal from a, from a broken jaw? I don't want to Google. I'd rather my dentist texters let me know. I mean, because like you said, we're, we're speaking as if they rushed something. David. You know what it reminds me of, and some people out there might, might and this is probably, I, I know this will probably trigger the Michael Jordan uh, worshipers, and there's a lot of them in Chicago, and they should be. Jordan is Jordan. It was back in 1985-86 season. Do you remember when he broke his foot? Came back. Missed 64 games. Rehab down in North Carolina, playing 5-5 five and five in the secret, and then he came back to a season that was pretty much lost, but ended up in the playoffs. But there was very little reason at that stage of his career to take that risk, right? And he was arguing with Jerry Krause, and he was arguing with Jerry Reinsdorf, and he, MJ wanted to play because he was Michael Jordan, and he was the next big thing. Now, there is not a comparison to an 18-year-old kid in Michael Jordan because Michael Jordan is the guy who there's a statue of and he won six championships and we know he's the greatest ever. But what he meant to the Bulls is what Bedard means to the Blackhawks now. And if you're going to have different rules for different guys, I get that. I get that. They wouldn't have done that for everybody with Jordan. They wouldn't let anybody come back. But he was Michael Jordan. And this is Connor Bedard. Do you think that they would have let Jason Dickinson come back six weeks after he broke his jaw? No. You heal up. We're going to get our investment. We're not going to risk this because – or maybe they would have had him back in five weeks, depending on the rationale, because he's True. not worth – you know, you're not worried about it as much. My point is, is that I just don't know what the reasons were. I, I understand that he was medically cleared. I wonder how much of that clearance came with the pressure that's inherent when you're having – Connor Bedard applying it. Do you feel like the losing would get to a guy like Connor Bedard? Absolutely. Absolutely. Losing games, it's probably already taken a toll. Uh, you know, look at Justin Fields, it's beating him down. You know, he comes from Ohio State to, to the Bears. You lose all the time. And any any kid, any prospect, any professional athlete that is used to winning, that is losing at the rate the Blackhawks are losing at, it's got to be an issue. And so I think his idleness was more of an issue in wanting him wanting to get back than anything. Great point. And there's nothing to play for, but he wants to play. Hockey guys don't care. Shift by shift, just put me on the ice. I don't care how much I'm hurting. I don't care what risk I'm taking. I just want to play. I understand that mentality. I am the father of a hockey player, not at Connor Bedard's level, but I get it. I get it. And I can re respect it even. But. I just think it was not as easy of a decision. Should not have been as easy a decision as it seemed. And maybe it wasn't, and that's unfair, but I do think that I woke up this morning feeling a little bit different. So if I text you today, there won't be exclamation points. No, but I'm excited to hear what, what Charlie has to say because I wonder if, his, if, he, if he has a different opinion. Charlie Rumeliotis, we'll talk to him next from NBC Sports Chicago. It's Mullen Haas, Chicago Sports Radio 670 score.
Welcome back. It's Mullen Hush, Chicago Sports Radio, 670 The Score. Gabe in for Mully. That was Connor Bedard mic'd up after his assist in his first game back in 14 games, 41 days, broken jaw, healed, and he was back on the ice wearing the familiar number 98 sweater, which brings us to our next guest, Charlie Rumeliotis from NBC Sports Chicago and NBCSportsChicago.com. And he joins us on the Circus Sports Illinois Hotline. Download the Circus Sports app today. Good morning, Charlie. How are you? Good morning. What's going on? So, Charlie, you were all over it yesterday. It was a day that I think full of surprises, at least to some of us. Were you surprised, and how would you describe what happened? Well, I wasn't surprised from the standpoint when the the Blackhawks originally released the uh, timeline of Connor Bedard's uh, injury from the beginning. Like when he underwent surgery on January 8th, they said it was going to be a six to eight week timetable. And I thought Connor's probably going to push this envelope and he's, he's, he's going to beat this original timeline. But as the weeks were leading up, like Luke Richardson was, was pretty clear on Monday saying that Connor was probably going to be in the non-contact Jersey all week. And then he would have a doctor's appointment either at the end of this week or early next week. And then he would be cleared for practice. Um, and they wanted to get him a couple practices in before he did return. So we were we were all targeting maybe February 21st against Philly, maybe February 23rd against Winnipeg. And then obviously word got out uh, yesterday morning that you know Connor was Connor the Black. I'm sure Connor was really pushing to play against his childhood idol, and they put him through some contact drills in the morning with some of the extra forwards. And, uh, you know, he was obviously good enough to play. So he's been skating for about four and a, or five, like four and a half weeks anyway. So I don't think conditioning was the issue. It was just making sure that he was good to go for contact. And once he was, it, you know, I don't know what, what uh, you know, why the Blackhawks would prevent him from wanting to play because he was basically ready, game ready. Yeah, I think a lot of people were excited to see him on the ice, David Hall included. Um, what did you think of his performance first time back in 41 days? Yeah, I, I got to admit, I thought he was a little rusty the first period. Um, 15 seconds in, Sidney Crosby scores and Connor's on the ice. And then uh, later in the period, he kind of has this cross-ice pass that gets intercepted in the offensive zone. Pittsburgh goes down the other way and they score two to nothing. And, you know, I think Connor only played like four and a half minutes in the first period too. So um, I don't know if they were trying to ease him into the action. But boy, when the second period flipped, like he was by far their best player felt like he was creating a chance every, every single shift. And uh, he obviously had the primary assist on, on Kurashev's goal. I felt like he could have, he probably could have had two or three more points. Um, he had a nice, nice spinorama backhand pass. He, he, he uh, kind of teed up a one timer for, for Kurashev. Like he was, he was really, really noticeable. So um, I think he, it only took him about four minutes to shake off the, the legs. And then the second and third period, I thought he was Chicago's best player. I, Charlie, you know how excited I was about his return. And like a lot of people anticipating with tons of just, just enthusiasm. But call me conflicted because yesterday, yeah, I was a little surprised that he was coming back. I was concerned because of the risk. He was medically cleared, so I don't want to be a hypocrite. How did they weigh everything to say that this is now? And I understand why, you know, Sid the Kid's in town. It is Crosby, his idol. But should that have factored in if it did because of what we're talking about here? 
he broke his jaw. And I, I know it's been six weeks, but still it seems like it was a little bit faster. And I just wonder, how was this a hard decision at all for the Hawks? Um, I'm sure it was. Like, I'm sure Connor has been begging to play for like a week or two now, probably even before that, to be honest with you. Like, he was at the All-Star game in Toronto, and he appeared on one of the, the TV stations. It was Sportsnet. And uh, they asked him, like, oh, when, are, when are we going to see you next? And he's like, well, if it was up to me, I'd already be back. But, you know, we, we got we to play it safe. So it was obviously the organization that was making sure that they were following the, the doctor's professional advice. And uh, it, it's funny because, like, I had a couple people tell me um, on Wednesday afternoon, Connor had a, a scheduled doctor's appointment. And he ended up showing up first thing in the morning, basically saying, like, I want to do my scan now. Um, and I think he, he probably did that because he wanted to be cleared for practice later that day. Um, now the team played it cautious, and there's like, I think, I think it's a little bit too soon. But after practice had ended, I'm sure that they kind of all gathered up and, and Connor was really pushing to play. It, it felt like, listen, Connor is the face of the franchise, and I don't think the Blackhawks would have put him in a position last night if they didn't truly feel like he was ready uh, both mentally and physically, like the jaw, like fully healed. And I think if Connor was really pushing to play and the imaging scan showed that it was, he was good. I, I don't, I mean, what, I don't know if you want to, uh, you know, piss off your star. If like you continue to kind of push this along, like I think he really wanted to play. He feels like he was ready. He's always on the ice. So I, I honestly didn't mind it. And I think, um, he looked he looked the part. Like I know the first period was a little shaky, but he looked he looked yeah. like he was fine he and there was no timidness in his game. No. He was confident. He had a swagger. Looked good. Got his legs underneath him. Uh Charlie, the trade deadline for NHL is three weeks away. When you're looking at this Chicago roster, you know, are, are there gonna be a handful of guys there that are gonna be on different teams, you know, in three weeks? Yeah, I think it's gonna be a much quieter trade deadline this year than it was last year. And Obviously, last season, it was the big story was what's going to happen with Patrick Kane and Jonathan Taves. But they even had some other pieces last season, like Max Domi and Sam Lafferty and Jake McCabe, um, that they were able to move for future assets. And I thought that would probably be the case again this season. Uh, Jason Dickinson is having a terrific season for Chicago. Same with Peter Mrazek. And And you kind of figured, okay, those are the two tradable assets that Chicago has. But rather than dangling them on the market, they decided to re-sign them. And I think it is a little bit of a pivot um, from what they were uh, probably expecting going into the season. Uh, but because the Hawks dealt with so many injuries, it, it's almost like, man, you can't put these young guys in a position where they're, where ba- they're basically drowning. Um, and so they were like, you know what, why don't we, why don't we just re-sign these guys for, on shorter-term deals and actually put some infrastructure around these young players for the next couple of years to make sure that they're growing. And, you know, I think that was, that decision was probably easier knowing that they have a boatload of draft picks already. Um, but yeah, it's, it's definitely going to be a, a quieter deadline this year than it was last year. Charlie, keep up the great work. Enjoy the Hawk cast and all that you do for NBC sports, Chicago. Awesome. Thanks for having me guys. Charlie Rumeliotis talking about the Connor Bedard return Thursday night against the Penguins. He scored and played and looked much like the guy you expected to see and have seen throughout his rookie season after the first period. So good for him, and may he stay healthy for all sports fans in Chicago.
Got to tell you about a cool event. Week from Sunday, Bet MGM and 670 the score. They will honor, we will honor Hall of Famer Chris Chelios, his career and retirement of jersey number seven next Sunday. Our show, Molly and Haw, goes weekends, noon to three at Kaiser Tiger that day. The show, we're going to have a lot of fun talking hockey, everything, honoring Chris Chelios, hoping that the guest of honor stops by. We want his family, we want his friends, we want people coming in to celebrate Chelly because he is the man of the hour. Come by yourself, say hello, 1415 West Randolph, noon to 3 at Kaiser Tiger. 1415 West Randolph right there near the United Center because afterward, the Red Wings are in town. They play the Hawks, the Red Wings. That means Patrick Kane is there too. Big day on the west side. Bet MGM will also be celebrating by offering a $7 bonus bet to all customers. Bet MGM, the king of sports books. We come back. It's Grody time. Mullion Haw, Chicago Sports Radio, 670 The Score. It's Grody time, and that means it's time for Mark Grody with Mullion Haw. Bears. On 670 The Score. Mullion Haw, Chicago Sports Radio, 670 The Score. Borrowing Gabe Ramirez from Grody today because he's filling in for Mully, and that brings us to our next guest. It is Grody time. Mark Grody, our Bears Insider, our jack of all trades, the khaki pants of this station, Mark Grody now joins us on the Circus Sports app. I'm sorry, he joins us on the Circus Sports Illinois hotline. Download the Circus Sports app today. Good morning, Mark. How are you? Good morning, Hall. I am positive that the guy sitting next to you, Gabe Ramirez, can come up with a better nickname for me than the khaki pants of the score, even though I know how well you mean with it. I know how well, but I'll bet you Gabe can come yeah. up with something. You, you hate it, don't you, Grody? You hate it. I don't know. It's just, khaki pants. Yeah, just Grody's, the, a, Grody's the backwards cap. It, it goes the backwards with cap of the score. Backwards cap is cooler. Oh, okay. Khaki and, pants and backward like, cap, backward cap goes with everything. You can wear it. Yeah, that's yeah. it. That's it. Yes, okay. I have the, did you have to like embarrass me there, Grody, for no. having a dated reference? I mean, no, I mean, because I, I know how well you. I just that like, look, you're right. Khaki pants are great, and we've all we all wear khaki pants. I just think of them as we... too rank and file. You know what I'm saying? Okay. A little bit too rank and file. All right, I'm sorry. I'm sorry I offended no. you by complimenting you. Except I will never it. compliment you again, Grody. Grody, here's the thing. Here's the thing. No. They were flagging anthem khaki, so they're awesome. Right. They're yeah. awesome. That's, that's cool. All right, let's start with the Bears because that is your area of expertise. We talked to Big Z about the ramifications of Eddie Jackson and, and Cody Whitehair being released. Want to know your reaction to that and how you think they may replace either guys. I think Eddie Jackson certainly the bigger concern than Cody Whitehair. Yeah, I think that it's you know I was I did the the I was in for Gabe last night and the news had broken that day and it, it just got me thinking and reflecting a little bit and feeling a little bit sad because those were two stalwarts of the Bears offense and of the the Bears defense. Cody Whitehair was a terrific bear and offensive lineman for the most part in a second round pick in 2016. I know he had his issues this year. Um, you know, he was not the best guard. He was obviously not the best center on this team this year. So it probably, it was probably fitting that it ended, but I thought he was a terrific bear. Um, and uh, same thing with, 
with Eddie Jackson, you know, uh, it, he never quite got, well, never really came close to getting back to where he was in, in 2018 when he had the, the six picks, including a couple of touchdown returns. But, you know, that 2018 season, it cannot be denied on the total plate of work by Eddie Jackson. I mean, that definitely ups his average <laughs> in so many areas. Um, you know, those two seasons where he didn't have any interceptions, I thought those were really disappointing and unfortunately carved out a little bit of his legacy as well, that he was not going to be what what, he, what we thought he was in 2017 and then obviously in 2018 when he was a legitimate all-pro. But both guys, good Bears careers, both drafted by the Bears, so that makes it a little bit more special and even a little bit more melancholy that both of these two guys are moving on. In terms of replacement for either of these guys, you know, I cannot see a scenario at this point where the, I mean, I can see them, you know, going young in the draft and later rounds and things like that, but I cannot see the Bears going crazy in terms of the money in replacing Eddie Jackson at this point, um, just because I think that it is, um, you know, that, that he is not the guy uh, or that is not the position where they can afford to put a whole lot of money into, you know, it was always like for years, Eddie Jackson was the guy that they were trying to, to find the, the, the partner for, or have the partner for, whether it was Adrian Amos or haha Clinton Dix or Tashawn Gibson. And now that changes to your third year safety, who has come on so strong and Jaquan Brisker that you have to find the right partner for him. As far as Cody Whitehair is concerned and, you know, replacing him on the offensive line. I mean, although he was no longer a starter on that team, I mean, depth is a real concern for this Bears offensive line. And obviously you've got to find a, a center to replace Lucas Patrick and anybody who played center this past year. Grody, I'm curious if there's anything that, you know, Cody Whitehair or Eddie Jackson could have done this season that would have made this decision a bit more difficult. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I think if if Cody Whitehair, Gabe, had just sort of been steady as she goes, Cody Whitehair, and I know that, you know, he's had issues in the past with snapping the football, but if he had just been his usual self, I don't know if we would be – you know, talking about that, that as much, I mean, I don't know if he's still starting, but definitely a depth piece. So I just think his play dropped off and, you know, you do save money with both of these guys. And I think that was part of the reason with Eddie Jackson and that it was time to move on. You know, I think one of the factors too, you know, you asked the question, Gabe, like what could have like somebody like Eddie Jackson have done to stick around longer? I really do think that there were, yeah, there are injury concerns and stability concerns. When I say stability, I mean physically for Eddie Jackson. You know, it just seems like every year there's a chunk of games that he misses, and I think it has caused him to be less effective. And obviously you're not helping the team when you're not there and you're not playing. So I just think that he's been banged up to some degree. So maybe if he had stayed healthier, things could have changed. But it did feel like because – Guys, I mean, you got to remember last year before the season started, we were talking about 
the possibility of both of these guys or one of these guys being released from the team. So mm-hmm. they, they would have had to do a ton to hold held their positions, I believe. So none of this, unfortunately, none of this comes as a, a surprise that either Jackson or Whitehair was uh, released. All right, let's change subjects to the conversation in town that everyone's talking about. Some may even call it a debate. Like uh, they are here on the Parkinson Spiegel Show, who is hosting a QB1 town hall meeting next Wednesday, 2 to 6, in front of a live studio audience at the Blue Cross Blue Shield Performance Stage B, the sixth caller now, 312-540-0670. And you can go. You can get a pair of tickets to go partake in this debate on the Parkinson Spiegel Show. You can also register to win by visiting 670thescore.com slash contest. The QB1 Town Hall, Parkinson Spiegel, next Wednesday, 2 to 6. Grody, they're calling it a debate. Is it a debate or is it a conversation? Which way are you leaning and what are you expecting? I lean the Caleb Williams route. I just think that there is an undeniability about him, and I understand all the risks that that are involved. Had a good conversation last night with uh, with Trey Wingo about you know Trevor Lawrence and how Trevor Lawrence really has not like he was the last guy that you looked at that was like Caleb Williams, where just undeniable, no doubt about it, no debate about it. He's the first round pick, so there's some. There's some risk involved, but I just think that the Chicago Bears are uniquely positioned, not just because they have the number one overall pick. They are literally neatly positioned, but they are positioned to finally potentially get their the quarterback that they have so been desiring for most of this franchise's history. So how can you not? take a shot at that um even though look there's other there's other great options that, that's the whole thing like it's okay I think Caleb Williams is their best way to go but I also think it's okay to say yeah the idea of, of stacking a team around Justin Fields there's a tantalizing option um you know Gabe Ramirez's guy Drake May that's still a tantalizing option and, and one of those guys Jaden Daniels, Michael Penix Jr., Bo Nix, one of those guys is probably going to pop in the NFL as well. So there's risk involved, but I still settle on this is a franchise that has to take a big swing still on quarterback. It ain't there yet, you know, no matter what we say about Justin Fields. And I like Justin Fields, but it's not there yet. So I am definitely team Caleb Williams. Is it Drake May to guys like? Uh, Gabe, or is it Drake? Maybe. <laughs> Brody, don't laugh at that, bro. Don't laugh at that because then you're encouraging it. Don't do it. It's just not right, girls. Uh, you are the best because <laughs> nobody comes up with stuff like that. Just better, ask it. Like, better than you do. You know what I was thinking about yesterday wow. as I was doing a little baseball homework for the show? Uh, hey, Hayden was nasty. Oh, and- yeah. Gotta love the was nasty. <laughs> Got the T-shirt. <laughs> Drake, maybe. Call me maybe, baby. Call hey, me maybe. It better be a sure thing if you you're going to draft too. <laughs> <laughs> you guys. <laughs> I'm just saying. You don't want to be uncertain. If you're drafting no. him, too, he can't be Drake, maybe. He's got to be the guy you have conviction with. If you're moving down there, eh. He's got to be Drake, absolutely. Drake, that's his new name from now on. Put that, that down, Gabe. Put that Break in a that promo. Down. I'll write it. Play it later in your show, Grody. Here's my question for you, Grody. Why do you hate Justin Fields? <laughs> <laughs> you, man. 
Oh God, I don't hate Justin Fields. I've you talk to him been... every single week, one on ones with the guy, and then all of a sudden, end of the season, you're like, nah, I hate him. That see, see, that's I'm actually glad you're trolling me, but I'm actually glad that you're asking this question because that's just it. That's why this is so hard. I do like Justin Fields. I see the man every day. I interviewed him after every game for a couple of years. So I do have a relationship with the man. So it actually does hurt my soul a little bit every time I have to say, I think that it's time to to move on and have Caleb Williams be the quarterback. Um, and if he's not, then I'm just going to have to deal with that again for another year. So tell us about on the clock, Mark. I think you bring it back and people have come to have some fun with it because the draft is 69 days away, I believe, and it will be here before you know it. And there's certainly a lot to cover. And the Bears are on the clock with the number one overall pick for the second year in a row. And with that comes a lot of responsibility, a lot of opportunity, and certainly a lot of scrutiny. Oh, absolutely. And uh, yes, on the clock, uh, I'll be putting my khaki pants on tonight for on the clock. You know, I'm doing this this morning hit right now. I'll I'll uh, put the khaki pants back on tonight. Um, and on the clock will be every well, mostly on Friday night, six o'clock until seven o'clock. And yes, for an hour from six o'clock until seven o'clock tonight, for example, we will just hardcore pure focus on the NFL draft with a 97% emphasis on the Chicago Bears and what they are doing. We're going to talk to experts, we'll hopefully talk to some ex-GMs. I'm going to be at the NFL Combine, so there'll be a show that will originate from there. Tonight's show, we are going to have on uh, Mike Renner, an NFL draft analyst from the Locked On Network, so he will be our first guest tonight at 625, maybe even take some calls, see what the people are thinking tonight, but it's really just a very focused look at the Bears um, and it's it's really amazing that this show has occurred two years in a row because last year the Bears get the number one overall pick and you know the the powers that be at the score Ryan Porth and Mitch Rosen were like hey you want to do we got an idea for this show since we're in this very unique situation so I always call it a pop up show it's a seasonal show um, and hey the Bears have the number one pick again. So I got re-up for another year. So this is season two of, I don't know, do we want this? Do we want this show to continue on every year? I don't know if we when, want this show to continue Whenever on. we can get more Grody, we, we, we'll take it willingly, uh, Mark. That's why we want you to know. So every season for that, for that matter. And if it means the Bears get the number one pick, so be it. What are you, say, what are you saying? Because you do want Caleb Williams. What are you saying to the people that still want draft picks in some form or another? Does that come at number nine moving down, or is it just, you know, too bad, so sad, you're not going to get more draft picks from from anything? Yeah, I mean, I don't know. I have a – based on the success that Ryan Poles had doing this last year, and, you know, I'm not expecting the trade of the first-round pick, so it was easy to get picks out of that last year. I could see a scenario where they do trade down at nine, but I tend to feel like they will stick with that pick because, you know, one of the things is is that – it's not just, you know, I think when they first started this rebuild, it was, and this is an oversimplification, but it was kind of like quantity over quality. Let's fill a roster. Let's let's break down what was here. Let's fill up the roster. Then last year, you started to make it real with the signings of a couple of linebackers, obviously the Montez Sweat thing, um, you know, made it like you actually are going after quality. So 
I think that that's what you are going to start to see the Bears move into that realm now and keeping, you know, the, that pick at number nine, I think obviously allows you to go after quality, whether that's whether at that point it is a wide receiver spot. And we all know that there's three, you know, really outstanding wide receivers that, you know, that are pretty eye popping and Marvin Harrison and Malik Neighbors and Roma Dunze, and then a bunch of other good receivers as well. So personally, I would like to see the Bears hold on to that number nine pick. But, you know, hey, if if Ryan Poles, I mean, he's earned a certain degree of trust with what he does in the draft. If he sees fit to trade down, I could totally get on board with that as well. Final minute, Grody. If you had to say which ex-Bear, or maybe soon to be ex-Bear, or let's just say this, among Justin Fields or Eddie Jackson, which player is most likely to be a member of the Atlanta Falcons next year? <laughs> that's a great question man because obviously ryan pace drafted both of those guys i see what you're doing right there <laughs> Haw. um which player is more like i would say eddie jackson and i feel like we've all been sort of jamming justin fields into atlanta i mean because it's just convenient because he's from there we've been doing that for a while I feel like we've been saying that more than it's been uttered in atlanta so i'm gonna say i'm gonna say because that like you got to give Ryan Pace some serious credit for that. I mean, that's a fourth round pick in Eddie Jackson. You know, Eddie Jackson was also terrific in 2017 and then 18 and had a good career. So I'm going to go, I'm going to go Ejax on that one. Good call. Our remind us what time is on the clock tonight on the score on the clock, gentlemen. Thank you for asking. I appreciate you guys for having me on and all that kind of good stuff. Um, I'll be on tonight from 6 PM until 7 PM. And then, and then it will be, Paul Barkish and me from seven o'clock until nine o'clock. So basically, basically the format's not going to change a whole lot after the six to seven. No, no, it's on the clock from six to seven, off the clock, off the clock from seven to nine, off the rails, (laughs) off the rails from seven to nine. The daily score also on your Odyssey app and wherever you get your podcast, correct? Yep. Yep. Every day. You're a busy guy. uh, Love it. Most days. Yep. Absolutely. Thank you guys. I appreciate you guys. Doing a great job, Mark Grody. And if you missed our conversation with Mark Grody, if you missed our conversation with Brad Biggs or any of our conversations that we've had this morning, you can find them later on the Odyssey app. Use the Rewind feature and go back and listen. Just search 670 to score. Tap earlier today and you can get started. Okay, there was history made on Thursday night in Iowa. Caitlin Clark became the all-time leading scorer in women's college basketball. Her athletic director, Beth Getz, well, join us next on The Score. It's Mullion Haw, Chicago Sports Radio, 670 The Score. Here comes Clark. How will she go for history? There it is! The all-time leading scorer in women's college basketball. Welcome back. It's Mullion Haw, Chicago Sports Radio, 670 The Score. Gabe Ramirez in for Mully today. That was the highlight from Thursday night. In Iowa, Carver Hawkeye Arena, Caitlin Clark breaking the all-time women's scoring record, 3,569 career points. She scored 49 last night, and that record came on her eighth point of the evening. She scored the first eight of the game, and of course, it was a logo three. And that takes us out to the score hotline, the Circus Sports Illinois hotline. Download the Circus Sports app today, and that's where we welcome Pleased to welcome the Iowa Athletic Director, Beth Getz, 
friend of the program, in the building, witness history. Good morning, Beth. Thank you for joining us. What was that like? Uh, it's so great to be with you guys this morning. And, uh, you know, it's, always, it's hard to put in words what it's, uh, what it's like to watch her play every day uh, because she's been breaking records um, almost every time she steps on the court. But what an amazing accomplishment and feat for any athlete in any sport and in any gender. And so it was uh, just amazing to, to witness that last night. And, and obviously you could hear uh, our amazing passionate fan base in the crowd. And it, people were watching all over the, all over the country, to be sure. And it's been so amazing to see the passion that your fan base has when it comes not only to the team, but specifically to Caitlin Clark. We know about her, her skills on the court, Beth. But can you talk a little bit about Caitlin off the court? What's she like as a person? Well, she's, um, you know, if, if it's possible for her to even be uh, better than advertised, she, she's certainly that as, as a young woman. I mean, her, uh, just her character, her passion, her genuine care for her teammates and, and the community, um, you know, is, is just unparalleled. So, um, I mean, she has matured beyond her years to, to navigate the, the fame and the competitive level she competes at. Um, but, you know, she's, she's just a, a happy-go-lucky uh, young woman who's, who's incredibly ambitious and, and is making a great impact. So wonderful to be around. You see it on a regular basis. We were exposed to it when she, Iowa played Northwestern here in town at Evanston. People lining up at 6 in the morning, 4 in the morning. Everywhere she goes, it's a traveling road show. Last night, it was more than just a statistical record being broken, Beth. I imagine that – the 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 t- attention Wall Street Journal is there. To the, the Today Show is giving attention to this. There is a phenomenon. She's not just a women's basketball player. She is feels like it's a movement. Something's happening because of Caitlin Clark. And to be able to be in your seat to watch this unfold, it's got to be just one of the, the biggest things you've ever experienced. Oh, there's no doubt about that. I mean, it's it's a it's a privilege, and you know, like anybody else, we're we're fans, and certainly in my lifetime, growing up as a female athlete, um, just to be able to see uh, this moment and the way she sees that uh, is has been amazing. And you know, she's the first one to point uh, point out how many shoulders she stood on, and and how these opportunities came, and who's who's alongside her for the ride. But um, you know, certainly the right superstar athlete, generational talent, and superstar individual at the right time. Um, and it's it's just been fun to, to see that take off. And, you know, her legacy um, and nothing she'll want more is to ensure uh, that this attention on, on the sport of women's basketball and women's sports in general continues. Beth, can you talk about the, the, the feeling on campus? I mean, because it's one thing for you to be affected, the team to be affected, but the entire, you know, Iowa University as a whole, I'm sure – uh, is affected. Can you speak to that and what campus life is like? Well, you know, she's, she's certainly a star here, but but one of the gifts that she has and that Coach Bluter and that whole program um, has is that she's made everybody feel a part of the team. Um, so it's it, it feels personal. Our campus, whether they've met uh, you know, met Caitlin or had class with her or um, had a chance to interact. They all feel like they know her. Um, and that's, you know, that's a, that's a gift she has. And um, for them, it's just, I, I think everybody uh, is, is grateful and doesn't take for granted being a part of this journey um, and getting a chance to live it alongside of her. I mean, the, the impact, uh, the transformational impact she's made on our university, again, certainly, uh, certainly extends well beyond our, our athletic buildings. Um, and so it's really neat to see that. 
In terms of it being just sort of a revelation or something new or novel, I just wonder how it compares, Beth, to uh, things that you've experienced throughout your career. Now, I know uh, I know your path well. I know you spent the time at Ball State as the athletic director, which is how we became friends, and, and I always appreciate that. Before that, you were a butler. You were a butler during the Brad Stevens years, the, the Final Four, when Butler became – you know, March's darling, and it became a thing, and everyone knew exactly where Butler was and what that meant and sort of the magic that Gordon Hayward nearly, you know, finished off. I just wonder when you compare the basketball fairy tales and how does what's going on with Caitlin Clark compare to what happened at places like Butler? You know, it's a really good comparison. I'm not sure I've, I've thought about it exactly like that, other than often to remind myself um how uh, fortunate I've been to be in the right place at the right time and, and live some of those experiences. And of course I was at UConn too. So I've seen <laughs> women's basketball at the highest level. So, um, but yeah, I, I, you know, I do think there are um, opportunities where you can catch, you just capture the dreams of everybody around you. Um, and in that, in those moments, um, it, it just, it reminds you what the power of sport can do. Uh, it can, you know, it certainly unites an institution, but it unites a community, um, brings people together, and and certainly this is continues to be a time where that's that's a positive thing for all. Well, Beth, enjoy the ride. March is right around the corner. It's going to be a long month, I think, for you in Iowa City, and I, I hope it is for everyone who's enjoying all that Caitlin Clark has to offer. Look forward to talking to you when maybe they're in the Final Four, or maybe mm-hmm. cutting down the nets after a national title. Well, I know uh, I know they they've got great things ahead and are going to continue to compete and and uh, do what they can at the highest level. So thanks for having me on today and go Hawks. <laughs> thanks Beth. Beth Getz, the athletic director at the University of Iowa. Obviously, the part that we didn't talk to her about Gabe is that the economic impact. Mm. Not only in the communities that the women's basketball team from Iowa visit as we saw in Evanston, but the budget at Iowa. They are relevant. They are on TV. They are doing things that, you know, other women's programs haven't done before. She mentioned being at Connecticut. Connecticut is probably close. Tennessee with Pat Summit was was that kind of program. Iowa is a powerhouse and everybody wants to watch what Caitlin Clark has to do next. I love what Stacy Dale said yesterday. Where she said, hey, man, when I was in college, I wanted to be in the same conference as Cheryl Swoops. And I'm sure there are a bunch of young women that see Caitlin Clark playing and they say to themselves, hey, I want to be in that conference. I might not play at Iowa. I might play for, you know, Nebraska or Maryland or something like that. But but I'm going to be in that, that, that conversation. And these are things that are swaying. That I wanted to ask her what were – but I didn't want to pry too much. That's more of a question for you. But, like, what what has been the most difficult part? You know, it's, it's, it's fun to be along for this ride, as you mentioned. You know, being the AD, watching it firsthand, there has to be some difficulties associated with Well, I think probably that's a good, that would be a good Caitlin question. Clark. I think if we had her longer, we probably would have gotten into that because, you know, obviously with all success comes its share of bureaucratic hurdles. Uh, the increase in attention creates a, a demand that you might not have anticipated with your typical women's basketball season. Now as you get into March and – she has the record, and she's fulfilled and exceeded expectations. Now what's next? And you look at you look at what she's capable of doing. Are you prepared as a university for that? And you've got to be able to anticipate problems that you never have experienced. That's a difficult part about being a, an executive. That's why you need to 
hire people who were capable, and uh, she sounds pretty capable and ready for any of those challenges. She had no problem reminding us that she was at UConn as well. Yeah. <laughs> Understanding that her resume is one that— And Ball State. Hey, she might have forgot. She might have forgot about that. Okay, <laughs> she might. She might have slipped past she that. She did one. a nice job there. Yeah, yeah, she did great. Oh, you just you just in eh, Ball State. You just in. Eh. It's okay. Uh, not me. I think everyone would just in eh, <laughs> Ball State. <laughs> wow, wow, it's getting. <laughs> says, the, says the kid that went to UIC. Okay. Graduated from UIC. Uh, I I do find myself though. Uh, last night after you know preparing for this and then looking at the schedule and wondering, all I. Let's face it, we don't pay that close attention to women's college basketball in Chicago. But I found myself looking at the schedule and wondering, okay, well, Iowa's doing this, and I wonder how that's going to be there. And, oh, I wonder who they're going to draw. And all of a sudden, you're on board. The bandwagon is still accepting people, and it's getting bigger by the day. I'll say this. When when she hit that shot, like as she mentioned, right, like the, the shot to break the record, logo three, and then she says confidently, swaggy, like, what'd you think? I was like, what'd you think I was going to do? Of course think? I was going to do this. Yeah. And I think that's the part that's so amazing. It's one thing to see Steph Curry do it. Any man do it is like incredible when you see it happen because you, you have the guts, the werewolves to do it in the middle of a game. But for Caitlin Carr, something that you just don't see in female basketball, right? In women's basketball, you don't see people pulling up from the logo casually. Well, her range is extraordinary. And that's my point. Yeah. Her range is, makes her even rarer. She's, she's just a threat to score once she crosses the 10-second the line. Contested, hand in her face to break, to break that thing. Nobody calls it the 10-second line anymore. Because it's an 8-second line. Okay, it's 8-second. Whatever. You know where I was talking about. <laughs> you know what I think is also cute about this today? Alex Kuhn, who's filling in for Dustin today. Shout out, Alex. He thought that we booked Beth Getz for him because he's an <laughs> Iowa guy. He thought that we like, yeah, you know, we love Alex, so we're going to get him an yeah, Iowa I, athletic director. I Wait. thought you guys were going to talk about how she helped – Alice Brian Ferentz? Mm. Kirk Ferentz oh, wait, is on the right offensive my coordinator? Oh, okay. okay. That was the third question. Yeah. I did want to say, though, I'm glad <laughs> Dustin is not here to hear this today, but I, I got to know some some coaches in the Iowa, in the state of Iowa, and they talked about Caitlin Clark's recruiting process. She really wanted to go to Notre Dame. From what I can, From what I can he- have heard. Scoop. That was her number one. She's from West Des Moines. I know. And she did not want to go to Iowa first. No, she did. She right. it was in her it was in her top three, but she had an offer. I heard that maybe something fell through, and at that point, committed to Iowa immediately. Wait a second. So which what part fell through? The money. No, no, no this is before. <laughs> no, I'm joking. I, no, no. Uh, this, this is just what I, I've as heard. I said. As I said, the money. The she money. was very interested in Notre <laughs> Dame. So, the money. You're so cynical. <laughs> Why would not Notre, why wouldn't Notre Dame be interested in Caitlin Clark? This is going to haunt Neil Ivy forever. How how do you not how do you not say yes to Caitlin Clark? I need you to I need you to do more research on this. If you could give me I'll dig a little deeper eight page rundowns before every show that starts at five thirty, <laughs> you need to do more research if you're just going to drop that little bomb at nine thirty seven. Alex, you back in on Monday or no? No, not back in on uh, Monday. Okay, because um, I know I know Dustin's gone, so I thought maybe he could have that homework for you by Monday he can morning. Have it arranged. <laughs> Shoot it via email. Alex, the MVP. Remember, I named him the MVP, and I've never heard the last of it. I just wonder if that is the. Can you imagine? I mean, okay, I can't imagine anything. Caitlin Clark has done everything conceivable in a college basketball career at the University of Iowa, and good for the Hawkeyes. 
I did not know that nugget about Notre Dame. If Notre Dame had the chance to have Caitlin Clark in South Bend and didn't take advantage, wow. Yeah, I'm sure you could say that for any school. But I'm sure Iowa made that last second push to make sure that she was there. Or maybe Notre Dame didn't want her? You sound like me talking to Grody now. <laughs> why do you hate Justin Fields? <laughs> Notre Dame, why did you Why did you say no to Caitlin Clark? <laughs> well, I wonder if they've been asked that. I wonder if Neil Ivey's been asked that. We've had Neil Ivey on the show. You yeah. know who Neil Ivey is, by the way. I don't. She's a women's basketball coach at Notre Dame. Well, now I do. Yeah, okay. And she's a very well accomplished. She's Jaden Ivey's mom. Jaden Ivey. You know Jaden Ivey. You're an NBA guy. Come on. I am. Now, I this goes back before she was there. So, Muffet McGraw? Correct. Muffet McGraw didn't want Caitlin Clark. Now, now you're talking. I could, I could find that out for myself. All right. I have a weekend project. I'll report back. I'll take, I'll take those eight pages on Monday as well. <laughs> Was it eight today? <laughs> Nobody prepares a rundown like Alex Coon. This is, this is categorized. It has an index. One of the best like fill-ins. I'm not just saying that, but like when he's here, it's like it feels like Dustin's here I, with Alex. I mean, I know Dustin might be listening, but Brandon's right. Brandon's exactly right. There's, truth is the truth. He's like Dustin's out. Oh wait, who's in? Alex. Oh, we good. We good. No problem. <laughs> Did I seem a little too excited the other day when I found that out? <laughs> you guys are like, wait a second. You're way too happy. Yeah, David loves when we're not here. <laughs> I was going to say, don't let, don't let Dustin see the Twitch recording of this segment, right? <laughs> that true? This is recorded? Oh, man. This oh, is, I hope this is on. A, this is on video? I didn't know that. Luckily, he's at a college with his child. <laughs> <laughs> not in Chicago. All right, we got a, a, just a couple minutes before transition. So any big uh, weekend plans, Gabe? This weekend, uh, I will be on BetQL uh, Saturday. Myself, uh, and I don't know who my co-host is because it's rotating right now. So Saturday we'll be talking some some gambling uh, there, and then that's it, man. Hang You're good at us. talking gambling. You are really good in that space. I really enjoy gambling. You do. You got me, actually. I blamed you last night. I took your name in vain. When I did go to the window, as they say, I went to my FanDuel account, and I placed a couple bets because Bedard was back. <laughs> I don't typically do that. Why would you do Brandon that? Brandon is the Bedard. He's a <laughs> hockey guy. He bets on hockey all the time. And wins. I decided to go that route because you kind of influenced me. No, not at all. You influenced yourself. And I will say this. If there's one tip I can give you, never bet with your heart. I did. <laughs> I know. I was like, shots on goal five plus. Yes. <laughs> yeah. He's coming back hot. He's coming back hot. <laughs> and you know what I did? I lost that money. It's never coming back. Of course. And I just got carried away. So that's why I woke up this morning in a little bit more of a sobering state of mind. You're not going to miss your $8 that you bet yesterday. <laughs> <laughs> How did you know? I don't know it was eight. You, I don't, think you it, don't strike me like the guy that laid down a hundo on, on I wouldn't lay down a hundo yeah, on I a know. hockey game. I, I wouldn't do that. You don't strike me like I said. No. What, I mean, $10 I, bet you made. I, I would say. I think it was, I think it was 15. 15. All right. I, and, I, and I think 15 on that. I think 15 on, I did the parlay of Crosby, Bedard <laughs> and a third guy scoring. <laughs> I did. I know. I believe it. I, I had some fun. I, I get it. That's I what that's it. for, right? I had some fun at the Super Bowl. I don't bet a lot. I had some fun with Bedard being back. I said, you know what? If I'm wrong, I can blame Gabe for like, you know, he's Mr. Gambling. Sure. I'll take so. it. I'll take it. I'll take it. So bet QL this weekend. That's good. I'm looking forward to uh, my son. My son's coming home. We'll have a good hockey conversation. Monday, you're in with Layla. Monday, lifts Layla. Work. Yeah. Monday with Layla. 
that's that's going to be fun for me. Layla's got to get up earlier than listen. She works hard. She works hard. She's going to be on Sports Sunday Sunday night. She's going to be here Monday five thirty to ten, and probably an hour early. That's a grinder. She'll be early. Yeah, she's she's also early. here today too. Oh, Layla's here today. That's yep. right. That's why she, I saw her walking down the hallway. <laughs> Layla and Dan. Lawrence is off. Bernstein is, and Holmes with Layla sitting in. We'll do transition next. It's Mullen Haw, Chicago Sports Radio 670, the score. But before we do that, don't hit the button yet, Alex. Take directions well. See? You're very good at that. Now you can be the sixth caller to the scores contest line, 312-540-0670, and you can win tickets to see Santana with Counting Crows, Saturday, June 29th. Credit Union 1 Amphitheater in Tinley Park. Tickets at LiveNation.com. On sale at 10 o'clock. It's Mullion Haw, Chicago Sports Radio, 670 The Score. Celebrate and save at Ashley's Anniversary Sale. With Hot Buys, your choice of color starting at just $3.99. Ashley Sleep Mattresses starting at $2.50. Plus, receive a free adjustable base with select mattress purchases. And shop top mattress brands like Stearns & Foster, Tempur-Pedic, Purple, and Beautyrest Black with 60-month special financing only at Ashley. Subject to credit approval. No minimum purchase required. Minimum monthly payment, down payment, tax, and delivery may be required. See store for details. Why? Why? If you Why? have T-Mobile 5G home internet, you might be hearing this Why? a lot. Why? Every time your internet slows down during the busiest hours. Why? Why? Because your network gives priority to cell phone users. Why? Why? Good question. Why not switch to Cox Internet with two times faster download speeds than T-Mobile 5G home internet during peak hours? Okay. Stop the whys and visit cox.com slash 5G home for details. T-Mobile prioritizes certain T-Mobile phone users over home internet users during times of congestion. We all agree that reducing carbon emissions is a good thing. And once again, Toyota is leading the way. We hear a lot about fully electric vehicles, and Toyota has them with more on the way. But we also know a BEV is not for everyone, whether it's because of cost, range, or concern about finding a charging station when you need it. Plus, the raw materials used to manufacture batteries are limited. Enter Beyond Zero, Toyota's vision for a carbon-neutral future. In vehicles and in manufacturing plants, too, in the years ahead. The materials used to make just one long-range battery for an EV could be used to make batteries for six plug-in hybrids or 90 gas-electric hybrids. That's why Toyota's position today is electrified diversified, empowering you to choose how to reduce your own carbon footprint with the vehicle that's right for you. A hybrid, plug-in hybrid, or battery EV. So shop, learn more, and get details at toyota.com slash beyondzero. Toyota, let's go places.